Friday, October the 20th, 2023. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of That's What G Said Podcast. We are going to cover a lot of ground today. We've got NFL Week 7 game previews with Eric. Friday racing from Woodbine, early pick 5 preview. I've got some best bets over at Santa Anita for Friday. Barry Spears joins me for best bets for Friday and Saturday for Keeneland. We each give out a couple horses there. So you've got Friday Woodbine, Friday Santa Anita, Friday Keeneland, Saturday Santa Anita, Saturday Keeneland best bets all on this episode. We're also going to give you the Ahsoka finale deep dive thoughts with Tim Kelly. He joins me scene by scene recap and review. No Chad this week, so we'll double up with uh, this week in wrestling next week and we'll uh, cover everything that we've missed over the last few This episode is presented by full-service realtor Cindy Carava. Her website, C-I-N-D-Y-C-A-R-A-V-A.com. And she can help you out with buying, with selling, with leasing, anything you need in the world of real estate. Contact Cindy Carava. Let's dive right on in, get into the NFL Week 7 game previews. Eric joins us to go game by game for Week 7. We are coming up on NFL Week 7. So crazy as it flies on by. I have Eric here from ETOF21 Sports to go over all of our game previews for Week 7. We've got three, uh, we have six teams on by. So 13 games this week instead. So a few less. This is one of the bigger weeks as far as uh, the amount of teams on by. A couple things that are big picture. Games are only averaging 36 just just like 36 and a half points um, heading into week in a Monday night football. It was 36.7. And that was the lowest average for a week since uh, week eight of the 2007 season. And then there was 37 points scored on, on Monday night football. Uh, the, the unders went 12 and two last week. And this week, 10 out of 13 games have totals of 45 or less offenses are scoring touchdowns on 53.3% of their red zone opportunities. That's the lowest rate league-wide through six weeks since 2011. Do you have any sort of like wide-ranging thoughts on why it is that stuff just is, do you think it's like a a few different factors altogether or is there anything like big picture? I mean, I think there's a lot more injuries. I think there's more injuries because of the changes of the preseason rule. And then kind of of the trickle-down effect of like that. There's less, less camps, less camps equal less time less calluses to build up, right? Yeah. Sometimes we've yeah, heard less. that load management is sort of the right way, but I think sometimes it's it all depends, right? If you're the type of player who's been injury prone, obviously getting some time off is great. But I think overall, you got to build up some bumps and bruises through the year, right? And I mean, like, I know for me personally, like way back when, when I used to be athletic, used to be good, and I used to do some things, I would want the reps, just selfishly. Me too. Absolutely. And, uh, not having those in speed game reps is one thing. There's less um there's also less scrimmages, um, yeah. which which is hurting. And right now, basically no one plays a preseason. We need to remember way back when, like a couple of years ago. Everybody played two games. games. Yeah, first game no one played. Second game you play, you played a half. Third game, you got had more of your run, you set out the fourth game. Now most of these players aren't even playing in the preseason, and it's showing with how slow they are. And then I think there are a few other small factors like the age of the quarterback this year is very young. Like the average starting quarterback, just kind of compare, right? We've got no Brady anymore. No more Breeze, no more Ben, no more Rogers isn't playing this year. 
So you substitute a lot of guys that were like solid veterans for a long, long period of time that had pretty good statistics. And now you've got a lot more variance, I think, with some of these teams too, with some of these younger quarterbacks. Uh, Another point that I was listening to, I think it was on the Pick 6 podcast, Brady Quinn was talking about, he's seen just poor, poor um, offensive line play coming up now because of how teams play in college a little bit more spread that when they get to the NFL, a lot of these guys aren't quite as prepared. So you're seeing just like sloppier um, guys in the, like on the offensive line. And man, that's something that you point out all along because you can have a great quarterback, a couple nice playmakers, but if you don't have an offensive line that's fluid or at least competent, you're not going to be able to do a whole lot. Yeah, you need that offensive line. You need those big boys setting, setting the tone, giving time, and knowing the uh, fundamentals, right? Knowing just those the right way to play and the smart things to do, and, and not nothing new. I mean, he's right with that statement. His story, yeah. Players that were drafted and come from a spread type system tend to take a little bit why a little bit of time to get used to it. So that was, that was actually a good point by made by Quinn. And uh, then something else to look at the AFC. Super wide open. There's only three teams with a losing record in the AFC. Denver, the Patriots, and the Titans. Everyone else is either 500 or better. Let's get into our game previews for this week. Remember, we're looking at DRF Sportsbook as we talk through these games. You can actually sign up for an account at DRF Sportsbook. And if you use our promo code, which is FAST350 right here, if you're in the state of Iowa, it'll give you all the way up to a $350 deposit match bonus. I'll scroll that across the bottom of the screen while we're talking, and you can all uh, take a look. Also, just a site while we're talking and while you're listening, go take a look at this site. It's called parlayplay.io, and use our promo code NFL Betting Blitz. If you're listening to this show, if you're watching this video, you will like this site because you can wager on props. You can parlay um, them together. What I like wagering on, you can bet on the over or under of a projected player's fantasy points. So if you're someone who plays in DFS or you played in fantasy football leagues for a while and you sort of know what some of the players on your team might have projected, might not, maybe a lot of the time you're looking at those going, there's no way my guy's getting that or I'm going to go way over that. You can actually take advantage of it, Eric. That's what, with, with all these sites, there's a lot of like DFS and prop sites and stuff out there. What I'm always looking for as a player is what is unique about this site? What makes this site different? They've got options here that a lot of other places don't have. They have options. Um, I like the combos. We can get players with the receiving stuff, comboed fantasy points. They even do targets. They just have a wide range. And it's not just central down to the meat and potatoes. There's a way more variety, if you will. Okay, let's get into Thursday Night Football. We've got the Jags at the Saints. Do we know the for sure status of Trevor Lawrence as of now? We're recording on Wednesday night. As we know nothing right now. Okay, because um, he was banged up, limping, and it is a short week. They've won three in a row now, and they are looking like they're in pretty good shape at four and two to where they could get away with like not playing him and losing a game right now at this point of the year, right? You don't really want to jeopardize it with him. But we don't really oh, yeah. know how serious. I'll, it is. I'll be honest. Like they are to me the most least impressive four, four and two, two, two four and two team there is. Um, yeah. You know, just kind of in terms of a betting, this is just the spot of spots. Jaguars played two games in London, yep. traveled back to Jacksonville. 
they're playing a they played a team in the Colts where the Colts had a halfway capital quarterback who wasn't making oh there were two guys your two guys last week man Minshew and Baker they let some, you they were bad last week the two, rookie, he was making some rookie mistakes he was yeah. it was honestly the worst game I remember Minshew I can remember from Minshew he had seven turnover worthy plays and in most of them it wasn't because of the the Jacksonville defense it was just he just played bad. really poorly like he well, really bad what um, he is is he's got like a a a very wide range which is not what you want as a starting quarterback right like his floor is really bad we've seen him be plenty competent throughout this year in games where you're like oh yeah that's fine but then the difference between that version of him and what we saw the other day that was wow that was really really bad um yeah i've never been the biggest minchu guy I no no and you got um and then you sort of then, were trying to talk about how he's looked better this year. He's in a better spot. Like the coaching yeah, staff's like doing him well. And, better, and I thought, and they just, is and you were right. Better. You were right. But man, he Game was so bad. Um, <laughs> you know, if you just kind of like rewatch the game, the Colts were moving in the ball. And the big thing that stood out to me is a short turnaround. Jaguars defense was on the field for 75 plays. Now you have a quick turnaround going to New Orleans. And if you kind of do a deep dive into that box store, Saints, 20 more offensive plays. Outgained the Texans by 130 yards. Oh, yeah. Downs. That was another team that they, box score-wise, should have won that game. Just kind of looking at it, they're coming off a two-game road trip. Teams that are coming off a two-game road trip that are home favorites, which they are, 63% ATS. Home favorites in general in these Thursday night games are 55% ATS. Um, Colts had more yards, more yards per play, more yards per pass attempt. Jags just weren't, they weren't that impressive at all. Even offensively, they didn't even have 300 total yards. It was so quiet. Um, Like it's kind of quiet the last three weeks because they have like the, both of their games in London. The first one was more of Ritter playing really poorly. The second one was the Bills coming there really late and coming off a spot and then the bills getting really banged up. And then last week you were pointing out a lot of the things like it just feels like a really good spot to take a swing against the Jags here. They've been yeah. living on the takeaways too. Right. And and sometimes you'll have a, a year where you do that, but a lot of times that sort of evens out. Um, and new Orleans is a tough place to play. I know Allen isn't the best coaches covering, but this is just the spot of spots. I got this at open when it was a pick them. I got this at 107. Anything under, like right now at this one and a half, I'm absolutely fine with playing. Yeah. I would definitely take the Saint, the Saints here. Me too. One area the Jags need to improve too is red zone offense. They're 20th in the league in converting red zone opportunities into touchdown. Keep an eye on their injuries. The right guard and the cornerback got hurt. They're already missing a wide receiver and a left guard. So on a short week, they could be without four, maybe more starters and decompromised and in some way. Guys like male. The Thursday's in, right? Yeah, so. The Saints had more first downs, as you mentioned, more total yards, more yards per play, but they went 0 for 3 in the red zone. They had two turnovers and seven penalties for 83 yards. They drove inside the 30-yard 30, uh, line five times, and on those possessions, they scored six points. The last four drives of the game, they were all inside the 30-yard line, and they ended up miss, they they also missed two field goals in the game. 
They had four penalties against their offensive line, which is really struggling. They've been tw- 25th in pass blocking grade this year. Carr threw the ball 50 times. It was kind of hit or miss. He'd have a couple of good passes and then sort of he completed 32. Uh, he just, he still hasn't quite gotten it all together with them yet, but I've been kind of reading into and looking into things about how Carr really does seem to improve more games and deeper into playing with like new staff. So I'm expecting some more improvement from him going on. They're only averaging 18.2 points per game. That ranks 24th in the league. It's actually worse than it was last year when they were at 19.4. And the one thing about them is I don't, it's not like I'm a huge Saints fan. I think they're a little phony too with some of their metrics. This is more of a spot play for me in taking the Saints here because the, the Saints are number 12 overall in DVOA. Um, and most of their metrics this year are going to be, like if you're looking at them, they'll be strong because their defense will grade well. Here's the schedule of offenses they've played so far. The Titans, the number 22 offense, and the Titans was when Tannehill was bad that game and missed a few passes. The Panthers, who are number 31 in offense. The Packers, who are number 16. The Buccaneers, who are 18. The Patriots, who are 29. And the Texans, who are 11. The best three offenses they faced, they lost all three of those games. I still think it's a great spot. Some positives, some negatives for the Saints, but I like them in this spot. I'm with Eric. Anything at the two or under, I'd be okay with taking the Saints, and that will be uh, probably one of our five games that we can come together on this week. One game over 500 now as we are through six weeks of the year. Uh, for me and Eric, giving out five that we combine on each and every week. Let's go Falcons at the Bucks. Eric. Tampa is three and two. Atlanta three and three. Tampa comes off of a game against your Lions where it never felt like Tampa was going to win, but there were a couple plays in the game that sort of flipped things quite a bit, right? They never really felt out of it. Yeah, exactly. Like you never were looking at it going, oh, they're going to, like they didn't feel like they had momentum, but it was only... Like it was a, a one, like a one ish score game most of the game. And then um, late opened it up a little bit. Baker had Evans on a but, uh, open on a busted coverage and he just missed. Um, it got batted Evans up in the air and intercepted. Yeah, and that went from that ended up becoming a Lions touchdown, just like a massive swing. It, just, it wasn't a great week for him. He graded as quarterback number 17. Honestly, watching the game, he was probably worse than that. Uh, He did get banged up a little bit on his non-throwing hand. He was two of 10 on 20 plus yard throws down the field. Uh, He missed a couple that looked like they would have been touchdowns. I don't want to give it all to him. Evans had a bad drop on what would have been a first down on third and 12. They drove into Detroit territory three times, field goal, field goal, turnover on downs. You know, you just got to be more efficient when you move into opposing territory. They only had 251 total yards. 69 of them came on the final possession. and. You know, they were down by 14 with 10 minutes and 30 seconds left and they got a fourth and two and they punt. Like these are the kind of things that I scratch my head a little bit about with their coaching staff. You know, Uh, I think they were on like their own 35. So again, it's just, but it's late in the game and you're down by two scores and you're putting yourself in a position where even if you do get the ball back, you're not going to have any opportunity. You just got to be a little bit more aggressive, especially when you're playing against a team like the Lions who are really, really aggressive and are always going to run a couple more extra plays than you based on them just going forward on fourth down. Uh, the, the key with Tampa, they can't run the ball, Eric, again this year. They struggle running the ball. They've averaged just 78.8 rushing yards per game. That's 29th in the league. Uh, only three yards per rush, which is dead last. Now we get over to the Falcon side. Um, Falcons are a two and a half point underdog in this game on the road. 
Ritter has just been so un- inconsistent and up and down. He's been moving the ball down the field more, but just making some bad decisions. Uh, they had 25 first downs. Washington had 13. This is one of those box score games that you look at and it's like, how did the Falcons lose this game? They had 402 total yards. Washington had 193. They had 5.1 yards per play. Washington had 3.9. Atlanta held the ball for 36 minutes. Washington held it for 23 and a half. The Falcons ran 29 more total plays in the game, but there were three turnovers, and that's why they ended up losing. Ritter had this one sequence. It was like when you watch it, someone just get rattled, and you can like see it. Eric, he had an overthrown touchdown then a delay of game on the next play. And then they were going to have another delay of game. So he's like ran the play when he wasn't ready and throws a bad interception. It was like just this awful sequence that you're watching. And they kept showing, uh, they kept showing Arthur Smith's face when he would make these plays. And he was just like, like, I rewatched that game from the coaches cam. And I mean, basically what's going on is the first, he just, Throws it to the first guy. He doesn't read the field like he used to in college. He's really hasn't progressed as much as I thought he would. Um, What I'm going to do here is I'm going to do something a little different. I'm going to play the Falcons for the first half at plus one and a half. Todd Bowles is 13 and 25. That is 34.2% ATS for the first half in his coaching career. With the Bucks, he is 41% ATS. But the big thing to me is this. Ritter is not going to go his whole career not covering the first half. He is 0-10 in his career against the first half number. There has to be more regression to the mean. I think this is the spot where he's going to do it. I think you mentioned all the stats about how they outgained them, how they averaged 5.1 yards per play, how they had over 200 yards more offense than them. Um, Bucks, in my eyes, are starting to come back to earth a little bit. Yeah. Um, They're having some drops. They're starting to get banged up a little bit more in the secondary. Offensive line's a little bit banged up. Some defensive linemen are a little bit banged up. And I think what we're going to see start to happen is they're going to start to kick it in Bijan Bijan mode more. I think think you got to now. I think they're going to start riding this kid a little bit more. Um, Also, the last two seasons, divisional road dogs are 56% against the number in the first half. I'll take the Falcons here plus one and a half for the first half. Yeah, with Ritter, the five interceptions the last three games between him and Smith, they were just kind of off too. They were having a hard time getting plays off on time. Tried to call a timeout late. They had to call a timeout late in the game, and it's like a really bad situation, which was their last timeout. False starts, delay the games. It's not great. But their defense, man, they were put in a really bad spot, and they only allowed 3.9 yards per play and 193 total yards. They had five sacks, 10 quarterback hits. Washington had touchdown drives of 11 yards, 27 yards, and 52 yards. They had a field goal to start the game on a 56-yard drive. Special teams gave up a 61-yard punt return to set up a short 11-yard touchdown. This team is good, and like overall, they're a good football team. They've made a few mistakes with the quarterback. They could have at least won one, possibly two more games. I don't think they were going to beat the Lions, but they probably could have been a lot more competitive in that game with Jacksonville. And I wonder, Ritter wasn't like a first-round pick or like a high pick. He was someone that that they're they're going with because he's probably the best selection for them and someone that they could maybe build around. But do you think at what point do you think they they say, hey, maybe we give Heineke a look? Heineke's not that good. 
No, I he's not. I just I, feel like he's been he'll make more mistakes probably like and that's the problem because Ritter keeps making these mistakes. He's supposed to be playing more like mistake-free football with Heineke his team, will right? He'll throw the ball more. He'll Heineke will chuck it more more downfield. Yeah. Ritter is yeah. not taking chances. That's, that, that's my only worry is I think that's with basically this, the thing that you're you're doing on. Like yeah, that's, and I, that's basically it. And I don't disagree with you in that Heineke's not very Heine, Heineke's not very good. He might be a slight upgrade or even just slightly different to fit this offense a little bit better. We'll see because Ritter's he's looked good, better overall. But then you know those few plays are the plays that he just can't make in this situation in these close games with this team where they have another very winnable game right here. Falcons at the Bucks. Eric's on the first half. Let's go Bills at the Patriots. We've got. The four and two Bills taking on the one and five New England Patriots. Man, they the Bills have had a hell of a lot going on over the last few weeks. So they've got this huge win over the Dolphins three weeks ago. Everybody crowns them. Then they travel late in the week to London in a flat spot. They lose that game. And then over those two games, they just get banged up like crazy. They come back from London. They got to play against their like a former coaching staff, basically a bunch of the former personnel that knows their team pretty well, and they're all banged up on the defensive side. They start out, they get shut out in the first three quarters against the Giants. These were their possessions to start the game. Three plays, three yards, punt. Six plays, 40 yards, and a fumble. Five plays, 38 yards, punt. Three plays, negative four yards, punt. Six plays, 31 yards, missed field goal. Five plays, 29 yards, interception. It was the first time Buffalo hadn't scored in three quarters of a game since week four of 2018 against the Packers. It's 82 games in a row where they've at least scored in the first three quarters. They did go on this long sustained drive in their first drive of the second half. That was 17 plays, 84 yards. It took nine minutes and 58 seconds. It was their longest drive in terms of time since 2016. So they started to figure things out. Then they go 12 plays, 70 yards for another score. In those two drives, they had 29 offensive plays. They ran 28 in the whole first half. It was a good game for Diggs. He had a reception on eight different types of routes and a season high 65% of the air yards with a 53% target rate. Look, I, I'm not a Patriots fan here, Eric. I don't think they're a good football team right now. I do think there are probably two games that they maybe three that they could have won, not even them playing well or not even them being a good team. But if they're three and three or, or four and two, we're talking about them like completely different. We're not talking about them. Like they're the worst team in the league. Mac Jones is the worst quarterback in the league and Belichick is done. Even last week, they did not play well. There was a wide open pass late in the game. Mac Jones threw a dime and it just went right through Devonte Parker's hands. Best pass he's thrown in his career. Honestly, it was a dime, and he just dropped it. If you played the Patriots, you were covering until the safety late in the game. And I played the Patriots, and I knew it. As soon as the dropped the pass, I was like – You're like, we're done. We're going to get – there's going to be some turnover somewhere. I said he was going to have to take a safety. Um, So, look, the thing is this, is they started rolling out more stuff with Cunningham. I think we're going to see more packages with Cunningham. Is Cunningham the long-term answer? Probably not. Zappy, I like Zappy. I've been a Zappy guy since the Western Western Kentucky games. I wasn't a Mac Jones guy at all, but I will say this. It would have been interesting if the 49ers would have drafted him instead of 
Trey Lance, what would be going on there? How would this right. franchise change a little bit? Um, just kind of looking at it, home divisional dogs getting seven and a half or more, 56% against the number. Bill's defense struggled since Milano went out. Milano's kind of the middle linebacker, stout against the run, can draw back in coverage, cover the tight end. They got I some big injuries on the defensive play. side, man, with Milano and White. There's two or three more, like, real key injuries. And their secondary is bad. As much as everyone wants to talk about how good they are, their secondary is pretty bad. Um, Bill's defense can't. They can be run on. I expect a heavy Stevenson game. I know Stevenson owners and fantasy are stressing out. This guy wasn't even a top 25 running back last year at this point. Finished his RB8. Got to trust the process. He will be a top 10 running back by the time the season ends. Uh, you just kind of look at Josh Allen's numbers. Only averages 220.9 yards per game against the Pats. TD to INT ratio is down 2.3 to 1. QBR is down. Looking at Diggs, Diggs' time with the Bills. He only has two games of over 100 yards. So Belichick and crew have been able to scheme a way to kind of take those two guys away. Um, look, Patriots look awful. Mac Jones looks like a like a high school kid. Out He's there. regressed. He's regressed. But, he was way better the first six weeks. I, there's nothing that we're going to say to defend them, but this is a spot. You just got to take that. This is a spot. Look, I know the numbers dipping down right now. I'm looking at, excuse me, DRF has this as eight and a half. I was able to get this at nine in another shop. Anything over a touchdown of play, I'm sitting on a plus nine, and I absolutely hate it. Mac is 0-13 in his last 13 games as an underdog. That's straight up. And they've only led in 15% of their games this year. And even in the game last week, it was they were able to score a few times. It was like difficult for them. All of their scoring drives required at least nine plays. That was against a bad Raiders defense. That ranks as a bottom third defense. They This, this year, they had a stretch where they got outscored in 10 quarters. 85 to six. <laughs> they haven't scored. They didn't score a touchdown in 12 straight quarters. They had 29 drives in a row where they didn't reach the red zone. I was listening to the a podcast, the PFF, one of their podcasts. It was pretty funny. It was like two stand up comedians going back and forth. These guys all had these like really funny stats on how inept the Patriots have been. And the guy was like, are we just going to go? Are we just going to go rolling on the Patriots right now? And they just went boom, 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 like back and forth, rattling off these. They're the only team in the league not to score more than 20 points in a game this year. They have 72 points on the year. The Dolphins scored 70 in one game. <laughs> they actually play Miami and Buffalo twice more this year. The next two opponents here coming up. But you mentioned it, Malik Cunningham. Uh, I, I think they got to give him a look in here. And I just think it's a, it's too much right now. The Patriots are at their lowest point, and the Bills are still at a high point, and it, it hasn't caught up with all the injuries, right? Since since the Miami game, they've not covered twice as a favorite. And this Bills team just hasn't looked right. Like, they, offensively. They get up. Like, right. they um, play Miami well, and they will get up for certain games and certain teams. But they're depleted right now. Um and yeah, this is just a really good spot for the Patriots there at plus eight and a half. Let's go. And this Brown. is the game like you don't watch. You just <laughs> yeah, you don't you gotta watch the games. You just check the score and then rewatch it. See see what happened. But this is not a game you want to watch because it's going to drive you crazy. This is another game where 
it's just for me all about the spot in here because I'm going to give you a bunch of positive stuff about the Browns right now. Jim Schwartz is nine and one as a head coach or a coordinator when he's playing against Shanahan as a head coach or a coordinator. He just dominates him, Eric. He knows his scheme. He knows how to stop him. He knows how to make life difficult for him. This year, four of the six best individual game defensive performances have been from the Browns. Four of the five best games this year by any defense um, based on success rate allowed have come from the Browns. The defense has only allowed 1,003 yards in five games. That's the third fewest since the 1970 merger. This was the biggest win as an underdog based on point spread since 2010 for the Browns who were like, it was like nine and a half or so, right? Last week, is that where it closed against San Francisco? You know, closed at nine. Um, in that range. My six, I got in earlier in the week. Still, get, still okay. Was able to get there. And um, you know what? People talked about their defense winning the game for them and it did, but look. They had more first downs, more total plays, more total yards, more yards per play. They were equal on third and fourth down to San Francisco. And they were starting P.J. Walker, third stringer. He's going to make some questionable decisions, but the guy's not scared. He'll still make a big play right after he makes one of like the worst decisions you'll ever see. In in terms of having a third string quarterback. Oh, that's dude. I mean, that is an experienced third string. That's as good as you're going to get. He's got numerous starts. He yep. He's not afraid. That's the key is the that first, he'll he'll step in there and he's the just X, not afraid of the moment. And the first one of the XFL, uh, which got shut down because of COVID, he would have won the MVP. That's a pretty good guy. Um, yeah. I really think in terms of everything going on with this game, there's a little tidbit that was tweeted out by Schefter that is kind of getting ignored. Um, Gover Stewart. I'm sure everyone's like, who the hell is that? Um He's actually one of the best run stoppers in the NFL. He plays for the Colts. He's been suspended six games for for um, performance enhancing stero- performance enhancing drugs, assuming it's steroids. Regardless of the QB situation, is the Colts just lost their best run stuffer? So that means even if Watson's not back there, and if this is a flat spot, I don't know if the Colts are going to be able to stop this run game. Because that's the key. This I think it's a heavy forward, heavy hunt game, turn around, hand off. I think Ford, we need to remember he's out snapped and he's out carried hunt since since um since hunt resigned there. And another thing, Chubb's contract was coming up next year. Ford was drafted to be Hunt's repl- to be Chubb's replacement, and Hunt wasn't re-signed. And I think that's important, like. I know the, all these fantasy experts are saying cream hunt this, cream hunt that. Just kind of read the room. You know what I mean? They draft this kid to be the replacement. It's just a little bit a year a year ahead, and he's looked good when he's had the opportunity. I think this is a big Ford game. I think he's a must-play in DFS in terms of player props as soon as they're listed. I'll look at his player props. Um, and I'm also going to say this. When you look, like, if we just kind of take a look at the Colts' schedule – it wouldn't surprise me if Gardner Minshew is benched in a couple weeks. Um, when you look, they play the Browns this week. Browns, and for my money, the best defense. Oh, and well, that that's league. what's scary as someone who's playing the Colts here and, and fine and I, just on the spot. It's scary to think about possibly Minshew under pressure here and this defensive front, what they could do to the Colts here. I just we saw that Browns team come off of such a high 
getting up for that game last week. They ran the ball well, as you mentioned, 160 yards on 34 rushing attempts. Shut down San Francisco, held them to just 215 total yards. I think this will be a game where they really try to get Taylor more involved, right? They really well, try to take some pressure off. Well, this this sure is another that. thing. They're going to give – it's going to be a split backfield because they're trying to increase Moss's trade value. Sure. So the, it's – until with Moss still there, it's still going to be kind of a split thing. What I was told is Dallas is – the Cowboys, excuse me, are actually the team that is calling – for um for Moss, which would be kind of interesting, Pollard a little smaller, be good uh thunder and lightning, fast, quick combination. Um, I just don't trust Minshew. At the end of the day, I just don't trust Minshew and having not having Stewart there to clog the middle is a big thing for me. So I'm just gonna pass. I'll probably look at some Ford props and start Ford and DFS. The Browns have lost the turnover battle in every game this year. Something to keep an eye on that may catch up with you at some point. Cooper had an awesome game, a couple big contested catches. Um, he ended up finishing with over 100 yards. And yeah, I mean, Minshew, he's not as bad as he was last week. That was like the worst game you're going to get. He's not a guy that you want every week starting for you. I, I tr- feel you're going to get a better effort and you're just going to get a better outing from him. I just don't know, like personnel wise, like you were saying, if they're missing some of their key personnel, like run stopping, and then it could be tough for them to slow down the Browns defensive front. This feels like a great spot after a really big win for the Browns last week. And who knows what the hell is going on with Watson? That's just weird, right? The guy's been cleared already for a few weeks. Everybody's saying he's going to play. The coaches don't really know what to do. Like this is the game, Eric, where, if you have a good coach and a strong foundation and like a good leader and a quarterback like that, you win this game and you don't lose in the flat spot. I don't know if they have that there. Right. And that that's where it could be key for the Browns. Uh, let's go to your lions at the Ravens. I locked this one in buddy at plus the three. I really, I, I really think it's a good matchup for the lions. They are up to number two in DVOA, which is the highest they've ever been. They have the number three defense. They're the number five uh, defense defending the pass number three defending the rush only two teams in the league are top five in both categories defensively and this is the fourth time they've already had four times this year they've held their opponent under 20 points three of them on the road they have scored at least 20 in every game this year 15 straight and they've hit 350 yards in every game so far they didn't turn the ball over at all against tampa who is averaging two and a half takeaways per game this team's just proving they can win in different ways. Eric, uh, Tampa shut down their run. The Lions only had 40 yards on the on the ground and 22 carries because they're missing their top two running backs right now. So what do the Lions do? They lean on Goff, 340 yards, two touchdowns. St. Brown has 12 receptions, 124 yards, six first downs, and a touchdown. They just look like a team, man. Um, they get this fantastic block from Reynolds to spring a touchdown. We're going to start hearing about some Jared Goff MVP talk soon because this guy recently in his last 17 games, he's 13 and four as a starter over 4,400 yards, 29 touchdowns, four interceptions and a 69% completion percentage. That's a full year. That's a full year of a sample size for Goff last week on third down. He was 10 of 14 with a sack, two touchdowns, 11.4 net yards per pass, man, this, this team's even sort of getting a little better. You see Jamison Williams 
he's still not looked fantastic every time he's been out there. And he was even kind of crossed up a little bit on that deep pass, but he makes a huge play and he gives you something that you don't have a field stretcher like that. And just a different wrinkle. Um, Laporta was rumored to be a little banged up heading into the game. He actually was defended very well in the game. He had a couple catches. He was targeted a lot, but you have won. You, the lions have won four games now in a row by at least 14 points. It's the first time they've won four straight by double digits since 1991. So, uh, I look at the Ravens here, and I think this team is a little bit overrated based on what their schedule has shown, Eric. Uh, they are number two defensive DVOA. Here's who they've played. Stroud, first game of the year in his first start. And in that game, they still got outgained in total yards. Remember, we liked the Texans there, and that game was like a lot closer than it looked on but just the final score. Week two, they play the Bengals, and Burrow gets banged up. And the Bengals' offense has not been good this year. They lost to Minshew. They played DTR starting for Cleveland. They played Kenny Pickett and then Tannehill and Malik Willis. So yeah, the defense is grading out well because they haven't played much offense. They've played one offense. That's the top third offense based on DVOA. The the highest they've played is number 11, which was the Texans. The Colts are 14. Titans are 22. Bengals are 23. Browns 27. Steelers 28. They moved the ball well in the first half last week, but they had to keep kicking field goals. As you pointed out, their offense isn't humming. It's not fluid. Um, They ended up needing Tucker to kick six field goals in that game. And then they opened the second half. Punt, interception, punt. Titans scored 10 straight to cut it to 18-13. They've only scored one touchdown in their last seven quarters. And they're like not figuring it out. They had 13 runs in the red zone and didn't score. And they were two of three on passes in the red zone and scored a touchdown. It's just like things are a little off when you watch them. I don't think they're quite as good as it may have looked so far. I like your Lions in this spot quite a bit, Eric. Yeah, um, I I play the Ravens minus three. I just I just feel like we're getting to the point where the market, like right now, what is everyone talking about? Lions are the best team. Lions are going going to the Super Bowl. I just kind of feel that they're a little bit overvalued um i know the chiefs are five dvoa the ravens are six but there's the first game of the year we can make a statement we can make an argument that this could be the best team that the lions have played they're going on the road playing in baltimore um i'm a little bit worried jonah jackson who's the guard is banged up uh frank the tank right now who's one of the better centers in the game for the lions is banged up along with Gibbs, who's rumored to come back, Montgomery Reynolds got hurt. So you could be without your top three running backs, some injuries to the interior. And I'm also really worried about the um the DB injuries to the Lions. I mean, Mosley out for the year, Gardner Johnson out for the year, Brian Branch. I don't know if he's gonna play, he didn't practice today. If he's not in there, that brings Will Harris in there. Harris was the guy that blew the coverage in Evans because he usually that Evans was lined up in the slot in that play. Will Harris is a big liability on the defense of not having Branch in there is going to be pretty big. Um, I love, I, I love, and you said it. I love that with you and me, we are the opposite of most people who think that their teams are the best and will never lose and always just want to bet their teams. And you and I are always the op, like at least with the Rams and the Lions in particular in this year. And I know you've been that way with the Lions, and I and I'm pretty much that way uh, most of the time too, but. It's funny. It's funny, man. Uh, and then um, one more thing, like 
Jackson's right now kind of entering um, Mahomes level. Um, when the spread's three or higher and he's a favorite, you want to avoid him. When the spread's three or lower or he's a dog, you want to take him. When the spread is three or lower, he's an insane 70% against the number as a favorite. So anything three or lower, I like the Ravens here. Possibly some weather issues. I know Goff has looked better outside, but we still hasn't seen him play in a while. No, that's that always been uh... East cold, rainy day. What's that going to look like for golf? He's been a great guy. You know, he's, he's looking great, but I just kind of feel like right now what's God. Oh my God. Who's the guy that was on ESPN two? Um, the two guys with the same name, the one guy's still on ESPN. He does a morning show. There was something on Mike Twitter. Greeny. Yeah. That guy. Um, he was saying the Lions are the best team. Lions are winning the Super Bowl. It just kind of seems right now we're in this phase. Any team that's the talk of the league the following week loses. I feel like this has been maybe two weeks where we've been building that, and I was sort of waiting for that with the Lions, and it feels a little different with them this year. We'll see. This, But you're right in that this is different in that this is the best a quality opponent and you're hearing all that hype. The last couple of weeks, they played teams that they're just way better than, you know? So, like, they can and beat I'll those be teams. Honest, as a fan, I hope they lose the game. Just because I want some adversity early. Yeah. So, the uh, Ravens and the Lions in one of the most interesting games of the week. Let's go to the Raiders at the Bears. We've got the 3-3 three and three Raiders at the 1-5 and five Bears. Raiders are a three-point favorite on the road here. This was the first time that the Raiders hit 20 points all year in the game against the Patriots, and they only got it because of a safety late in the game. They drove inside the 20-yard line six times and came up with one touchdown and four field goals and an interception. They're only scoring 16.6 points a game this year, and they've allowed 21.8, but they're 3-3. Three and three. And they have games coming up with the Bears, the Giants, and the Jets. Like, the Raiders are actually in a pretty good spot here. I just... I think the Bears are the play if you're going to play this game. But just looking at their schedule overall, you got three teams that are very winnable games and you're already at 500 through six. So you sneak out two of these games and you're in really good shape. Jimmy G left in the first half with a back injury of their last game. Hoyer came in. He was fine. He graded his quarterback 13 on the week. He finished with two big time throws, zero turnover worthy plays. They were up two in the uh, late in the game though. And the Patriots had the ball with the chance to win it. And uh, they got a nice sack. Crosby's just been amazing this year. He's like on pace for quarterback pressures to be like top five, I think all time or in the, like in the PFF grading um, era, at least of the last like 15 years or so. The tight end mayor was very good for the Raiders. He had five catches, 75 yards, two explosive receptions, three missed tackles were forced on his, uh, on his receptions. And you got the bears. One in five fields is hurt for with a thumb injury. He was six of 10 before getting hurt. And now they're without their starting quarterback and their top. Are they getting back Johnson this week? They were without their top three running back at one point. Johnson should be back. Roscoe, Roscon or whatever should be back. And uh, it'll be Tyson Badgett starting. I will say he came into the game and the first few plays he had, I was like, oh, no. He looked like the speed of everything was so much faster than how he was operating. And then he actually, like, noticeably got competent in a couple drives. Like, he wasn't as bad as it was. How can I word this? 
He's probably had 20 snaps the last I was going to say, dude, the guy's got no reps. And you could see it at the beginning. And then you could actually see him getting just more comfortable. That had to be like a, a, a rough situation for him. Like you said, just not very well prepared getting out there. And then it was like, oh, right off the bat, he got sacked, a fumble, returned for a touchdown. Uh, but yeah, he had a nice drive and they were moving the ball again. But like you expect, he threw a bad pick on first and 10 on a pass he just shouldn't have made. But it's not like they were getting the greatest level of quarterback play before, right? So this is what you got to look at a lot of time. Like, what's the drop-off from what they were getting before to what they may be getting now? Yeah. Um, how can I word this? Bears are the worst coach team in the NFL by far. And it's absolutely positively not even close. Um, you're, there's the, this place circling around where linemen are going to the wrong side to pick up a blitz. How does that happen? It is absolutely just insane. Um, they've whiffed on numerous players. I just don't know what to expect from this team. Now there's words coming out that they're going to tank. Just they just want the first two picks. You mentioned the Fields injury. What's is he even going to play? I don't think he is going to play. Um, just looking at the history of the Raiders organization in Las Vegas, they are 24% ATS as a road. This fan. is when they're the offered last, you in these spots like this yeah. going east. The like- last time that they want that they covered covered a game as a road favorite was 2016, which it's crazy that's seven years ago. PFF grades the um Raiders O-line against the Bears defensive line as an insanely good matchup. Look, at the end of the day, I really don't trust either one of these teams. The one thing I'm going to look to do, and I've been kind of doing this, um, just taking whatever the running back is against the Bears, the receiving prop over. This is hit for the starting running back and the third down running back every single week this year. Bears give up the most yards per game to opposing opposing running backs in the receiving game. So I'll take Josh Jacobs, probably be 15, 16 and a half receiving yards over it. I'll just call it a day and then don't even worry about the side. We've got Washington. The commanders are a two and a half point favorite on the road playing the Giants here over under in this game, 39, one of the low totals this week. So you got the commanders who win last week, a game where they got out gained out possessed in the, in uh, time of possession just didn't look like they should win in the box score, but Atlanta sort of gave them that game. And it's, you know, you watch Howell and he's like a real gunslinger type, but man, so well for fantasy this year, right now. I know. And, and that one game, when I played against you, he got 0.56 in that one week. So he's literally been that like, so Last week, he got sacked on five of 30 dropbacks. At least two were him running into them. He's been sacked 34 times. And what's crazy, Washington is eighth in pass blocking grade. And they're 12th in pass blocking efficiency. So it kind of shows you he's running into a ton of these sacks that are uh, like his fault. Uh, They were obvious about wanting to get Terry Macmore involved last week. He was targeted on 11 of his 26 routes, 42% target rate, highest in any game of his career. Um, So far this year, this defense has allowed the most pass plays of 25 yards or more with 16. I, it's another spot where it's like, you know, the giants are really low valued right now. 
they should have won that game last week. It's happening for the Giants and the Vikings this year because these were the two teams that last year overachieved based on their metrics. It wasn't as blatant for the Giants as it was for the Vikings, but just a lot of things bounced their way. And now this year, things like this. They were the only NFL team in the last 30 years to run the final play of scrimmage of each half from inside their opponent's 10-yard line and not score a point on either drive. They're the only... Right? They're the only team in the last 30 years to have two drives in a game at any point where they ran a play on first and goal from the one and got zero points in those drives. That's nuts. They are the only team in the Super Bowl era to have more rushing yards, more passing yards, fewer interceptions, fewer fumbles, um, and fewer missed field goals and still lose a game. Teams were 134 and 0 in the Super Bowl era when they've done all of that regular season and playoffs. That PFF noise canceled score metric had the Giants beating the Bills 21 to 16. Uh, they were 0 of 4 in the red zone. Even their offensive line, that's bad. They're one of the worst in the league. They played admirable last week. They did enough for them to win that game. It was by far one of their better efforts with. Even lackluster personnel. There was a guy sitting on the couch that played for them last week and was like one of their better, like I think Pew it gave them one of the better. Uh, I mean, him and his agent. That was all planned. They had T-shirts lined up. That right. Oh, I know. know. Props to them for taking advantage. Um, look, this is this is going up as soon as this gets to three. I will take the Giants. The Commanders score a little bit of a bluff. Um, they're out game by two hundred seven. 207 yards. But the big thing to me is I always look at plays the defense is on because those guys get more tired than the offense. They were on the field for 79 plays, which is absolutely insane. Uh, Ron Rivera as a favorite 41% overall. uh, Giants defense looks better. Um, You mentioned um, scary Kerry McLaurin. Last three weeks, which commander's wide receiver is a top 10 wide receiver in fantasy football? I mean, it's not Scary Terry, I would say, right? It is Curtis Samuel. He is wide that. receiver number nine. Um, you know, Jones banged up, really don't know what we're going to get. Barkley's starting to get better. I think you can run on this commander's defense. And you know um, what, Tyrod, for as much crap as we he, he got, like, from Coach Dable, just tore him apart because that was probably Tyrod's fault. He called an audible. It looked like at the end of the half, he, he uh, audible to a run. They didn't have any timeouts left. And then they, they, instead of being up nine or 13, they're only up by six. And that probably cost him the game, but Tyrod is 26, 26 and one as a starter. That's his career record. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Down, you know, like he, he doesn't make, he made a few mistakes, but he doesn't turn the ball over a whole ton. I just feel like this is a great spot for the Giants, and I'm with you. I'm going to wait for a little bit better. It will pop. If it does it, I'm fine playing it too. Me too. Let's get to Arizona at Seattle. We have Arizona 1-5 and at the Seattle Seahawks, who are 3-2. and Um, Seattle's a a 7.5-point favorite in this game. And, you know, this another game last week, they should have won. They should have beat the Bengals. They had 381 total yards. The Bengals had 214. They had 24 first downs. The Bengals had 15. They had an eight-minute advantage in time of possessions. They were holding the ball for over 34 minutes, but they ended up losing because two turnovers, 
seven penalties, but mainly one of five in the red zone. Metcalf yeah. also had a stupid penalty for unnecessary roughness, and then he stopped on a route that was on one of their interceptions. It was just a bad game from him. Uh, opening drive, they go 75 yards on 11 plays, and then on their other 10 possessions, they scored six points total. Yeah. And Geno Smith was pressured on half of his dropbacks, 25 of 51. So the offensive line, they got to shore that up a little bit. You could see it was like they'd have a big play, and the next play he was rattled. And then it'd be like a good play, and the next play he was under pressure again. Uh, the defense was actually very good against the run. Uh, they That continued again. They allowed just 3.2 yards per carry on the season. That's the best number in the league. Uh, and they've only allowed, they only allowed 46 yards rushing total last week. The PFF noise-canceled score had them beating the Bengals 24-16. to 16. I, I, But, you know, positive stuff for Seattle coming off of that week last week. As far as playing them in this spot here, no thank you. I'm not laying more than a touchdown with them. You know, Arizona, it seems like every game they play a good half or like a good couple of quarters in the game. Uh, in, that, in this game most recently, they ran the ball pretty well in the first half. They had five different players combined for 103 rushing yards and 24 carries in the first half. They held the ball for 20-plus minutes in time of possessions. They just weren't able to score on their long drives. They had two drives stall in the red zone. They were only able to kick three field goals despite all of the success in the first half and recovering a fumble on punt coverage. And then things were just way different in the second half. They couldn't move the ball at all. They only had 27 rushing yards. They had two turnovers alone in the fourth quarter. I, I don't really have a strong opinion one way or the other here, Eric. Yeah. Um, I, I'm still trucking along in my survivor. It's beautiful. Yeah. One thing that's kind of stood out to me is the Cardinals offense is just struggling with no James Conner. James yeah. Conner not there to get that three, four yards on first down with a run. And then they're a dump off. Really, he just yeah. is. They're just really getting behind. Behind it, another thing that kind of stands out to me is they're 31 DVOA wide receiver ones. How are they going to stop DK Metcalf? Yeah, and um, he had a bad week last week, so you feel like he's one of those guys that kind of bounces back this week. I mean, I mean bad and just he he may have been the reason they lost the game with like a drop and then just bad penalty. Yeah, and then um, cards versus Seattle. They're seeing Seattle's offensive line has one of the better matchups per PFF. Look, I just, I don't want anything to do on the side. This is a big number for a divisional game, but I think that the Seahawks will be able to win it. So I'm going to play them for the uh, survivor. We got the three and two Pittsburgh Steelers at the three and three Los Angeles Rams. Rams are a three point favorite in this game over under 44. Pittsburgh is also three and two against the spread. Um, PFF has them overall as the number 27 graded team grading all of the different units where they look to have their biggest strength is pass rush. No surprise. They're, they're number four graded and their defense overall is graded 15, but that's like it, Eric, like even their defense isn't like this dominant, dominant defense. Like it used to be. They have a good pass rush um, in DVOA. They're number 20 overall with the number 28 offense and the number 11 defense. They have the number 25 offense passing the ball and number 31 running the ball. Their mm -hmm. offensive coordinator is miserable. Pickett hasn't really sh uh, shown a whole lot of improvement and taken the step forward. They have a couple of these wins this year that are total Mike Tomlin. I don't want to say fluky because they, they execute a little better than their opponent and they make a mistake or two less, but 
They're ne- not any games that you're watching going, wow, that was impressive, or that looked good, or they were really moving the ball well. Right. They come off a bye, though, right? And this should be, if they're ever going to look a little bit better offensively, it should be here. I I think it's, you know, I've, I'm leaning this way. I, I mean, a couple of these pools where you have to pick every game. I'm fine at the Rams at three and under. I just don't like Pittsburgh as much as I did preseason in what I've seen from them in their five game sample size. And for the Rams, it's so nice having Cooper cut back, man. He had a great game again, seven receptions, 148 yards. He's been over a hundred in both games, 15 catches for 266 yards in his two games so far. Uh, the defense generated pressure on 23 of 46 dropbacks, which is the highest pressure rate in a game this year so far. Uh, they even muffed a punt in the first half, which led to an Arizona field goal. And then in the second half, they started to run the ball uh, with Williams, who he's banged up now too, though, right? And Yeah, he's going to be out for this game. Because so, um, he had 150 yards rushing in the second half alone. Yeah, and everyone talks about McCaffrey. Williams is the only other back that has 80, over 80% of a team. And they don't have anything else there. Um, You know, they did draft a kid who I like. I like him coming out of Old Miss, Evans. His biggest issue, though, is he can't pass, bro. That's why they're bringing up Royce Freeman. Royce Freeman's going to be in there in third downs blocking. Evans will probably get the early work. Um, there's one thing I've kind of noticed about Sean McVay is if something's going on off the field, he can be a little distracted. And what's going on off the field right now? His kid is due literally any single day. For that first half, all they did was what? They just passed the ball. Second half, they came out, started running a little bit more, took advantage of the hole in the Cards' defense. The big thing to monitor is when Cam Hayward plays, Pittsburgh is one of the best run defenses in the NFL. When he doesn't play, they really struggle. Last week at practice, he was running. I haven't seen the practice report from today, but I'm going to bank on him going on after the bye. Deontay Johnson is trending in the right direction. Tomlin is a dog, 65% ATS, is a road dog, 61.7%. Zach Evans, like I said, going to be getting the number one run. You mentioned the Rams, another team that was on the field defensively for 73 plays. Cards were in the red zone three times, only scored six points. Stafford, for his, I look, I love Matt Stafford. He's going to get his jersey retired for Detroit. He looks what's the word? He just looks old. You know, he's not moving as well. Tears tends to stare down as number one. Hence why so much by Cooper cup. I just think the Steelers coming off the bye with the, this is this backfield Hayward coming back. You know, I think this is just going to be kind of like the Ravens game. When you look up and the Steelers won it and you're like, how the hell did that happen? Yeah. This is probably one where we're a slightly different side. It's not like I would be, Line that up to play my Rams as the favorite play of the week, but I just think they're like a little bit better. I've been a little disappointed with uh, which Pittsburgh. Let's go Packers. Another one team coming off the bye. They're playing at the Denver Broncos, and the Packers are a slight favorite in this game. It's basically a pick 'em right now. Packers are a one point favorite on the road, over under forty four and a half. Green Bay is the number nineteen overall graded team on Pro Football Focus's metrics. They're a good pass blocking team. That's really it. Their defense is ranked 14, pass blocking their number four. Everything else, they're like, eh, or below average. Uh, they're number 21 in DVOA. They're number 16 offense, number 21 defense. 
Will they look a little better coming off the bye? We've had a few games from Jordan Love where he looked good early, and then he's kind of regressed the last few weeks. They've Give them credit, though. They have been banged up and missing some real key pieces. With Jones out, that's their best player and their best offensive player who gives them such a different like dimension with a guy who can catch the ball out of the backfield and very good runner. And they were missing Watson for a few games. So should be healthier here on the Broncos side. You've got Russell Wilson, who's uh, graded as quarterback 18 on the year. So, you know, he's, he's not been awful or really the reason why they're losing all these games last week. He was pretty bad though. And he was probably worse than being graded number 20 on the week. He made some bad mistakes at the end of the game. Uh, a really nice drive. He took a sack and a turnover on downs. He seemed uncomfortable, uh, really couldn't sense the pressure. First drive of the game, fourth and three, call a timeout, and they follow that up with a sack. Uh, they only had one pass attempted longer than 10 yards down the field in the first three quarters of the game. And, you know, it's like some weeks the offense hasn't been the problem, but this week they couldn't move the ball at all. They had 14 total first downs, only 197 total yards, and only four, four first downs from passing. Think about that in an entire game. Like some teams will have that on a drive for first downs from passing the ball. And they lost the time of possession by over 11 minutes and 30 seconds. But then this is how, you know, a team, I don't know if, if they've given up or they're just a bad team or they're struggling. They find ways to lose as a team, right? Because this year their defense has been awful, but in a game where their defense played okay and, and, only allowed 18 points. They held Kansas city to under 20. Their offense couldn't play one game like they played a few times this year. That's sort of how you, you can just sense it. Like, and that's what the money, like he was averaging eight yards over eight yards, 8.4, 8.5 yards of carry. He like their first series, he got one touch. Like what do you, it just doesn't matter. I just don't understand. It's off. Everything's off. Do you trust Jordan love? On the road. At any time. I was exactly. This is I knew what you were going to say. At any type of being close to even or them being favored. They just shouldn't be. They shouldn't. And also, like, it's important to read and look at Twitter and just kind of see these signings. Why are they signing James Robinson right now? That tends you to believe that this Dylan thing may be a little bit more than they're letting on. You know what I mean? So I'm a little bit worried. End of the day, I'm probably going to do nothing here. I will say this. We need to remember Vance Joseph's defense historically struggle against the tight end. Obviously, with that being said, Luke Musgrave, tight end props, will definitely be invested in them. Everything else is probably just a stay away for me. First three games, Love had seven touchdowns and just one interception. They won two of those games. Next two games, he had five interceptions and one touchdown, and they lost both of them. And Aaron Jones has missed more snaps than he's taken so far this year. So like right there, if you know, you're going to be missing one of your best players, you're going to probably be in some trouble. Oh, this is one one of their best players. The best player player. by far, (laughs) by far. Yeah. Um, I had one more stat that was kind of out of my, uh, out of order in my notes, the Steelers. This was a good one. They've scored seven touchdowns this year in five games, seven. And and two of them have been defensive touchdowns, which is just nuts, but you're right. It, feels like the game against the Chargers might be that type of, or the game against the Rams might be that type of a game. I said Chargers because the Chargers are the next team we're going to talk about. Chargers are playing the Chiefs. Chiefs are a five and a half point favorite in this game. Chargers come off a bad Monday night football loss where that was one of the worst games Herbert's ever played, honestly. 
He was graded quarterback 16 on the week. It, probably worse than that when you watch it, though. Yeah, it, was just weird, seemed, it was a weird game. Like, he right? It seemed off. And after that throw, everything was just like uh, dark. He was just throwing the ball as hard as he could. He really wasn't able to put that throw behind him. Um, the touch, yeah. I think, uh, you know, he kind of lost it for him. Um, but they and they struggled running the ball again too. They only had 53 yards rushing, 23 carries, 2.3 yards per carry. They're only 19th in rushing EPA, 21st in rushing success rate. They only they only had 272 yards and only 4.5 yards per play at home off a of bye. It just it was a weird game, like you said. Something felt weird. Um, different year though, same team. All five of their games haven't been decided by seven points or less. And realistically, they they're two and three. They could be five and zero, oh, like very easily. You have a Chiefs team here, who's you no know, offense again, like sloppy in the red zone. They scored touchdowns one out of five times in the red zone. Mahomes threw a bad interception in the red zone uh, on a fourth and three from the seventeen. They kick a field goal, which is really weird. Later in the game, they got a fourth and two on the six yard line. They line up for a field goal, and then they go for a fake and don't get it. Like, why do you even fake it right there when you you got Mahomes? Wouldn't you rather just have Mahomes get one more shot on a fourth and two instead of um, lining up the fake Matt, field goal? Two two words, Matt Nagy. Just getting too cute, right? Like yeah. you just getting too cute. Um, it's the second time this year they've scored less than twenty points, and this is a different feel feel team for them they still aren't getting very much from the wide receivers. Rice had four catches for 72 yards. He leads all of their receivers in receptions, yards, and touchdowns this year. Yeah, it's basically Kelsey and him, right? Yep. And they did trade for Hardman today. Okay, cool. Yeah. So that'll help them. Um, and it's, it's been a defense that's been pretty impressive. They're allowing the second fewest points per game in the league, 14.7. And sixth fewest yards per game, 284. They're ranked number nine by DVOA. They're number six against the pass, number 21 against the run. They do struggle against the run based on EPA metrics also. 29th in EPA allowed per rush, 23rd in defensive rushing success rate allowed. This should be a game where the Chargers have got to find a way to run the ball more. And this is probably the place to try to do it against this Kansas City team. Are you invested in this game? Here's a trivia question for you. Who does Mahomes have the worst ATS record against? I would imagine the Chargers. Against Justin Herbert. Oh, um, I like that. And yeah. after they dominate the Broncos. Like, they've yeah. just crushed the Broncos repeatedly for years. And, it, um, and, just not, and not even knowing that stat that you mentioned, doesn't it just kind of feel that way? Like, it feels like a lot of these games these two teams have played have been close. Yeah. And it's just... This is... The Chargers are all, it's always going to be a one score game and it's going to come down to some staley decision that it was him just out thinking the room. And that's basically, you know, what kind of happened on, um, um, oh my God, on Monday. Like, why are you not kicking the field goal? I know. Mahomes, 45% ATS in his career. Um, when it's three and a half or more, when that drops down to three, when it's a field goal, you know, same thing when he, so Mahomes is just, he's just that guy when it's over three and he's a favorite, you just want to fade him. You do it here. This game's going to come down to the last play. 
Um, Chargers offensively are absolutely loaded. Chiefs defense has been playing lights out, but can their young DBs keep up with the playmakers? Eckler's second game back. It's always a second game back where you want to look at these guys where they where they do it. Um, Dude, and I don't know if you saw this. Before the game when they got that scuffle, Eckler got punched in the face. Did you see that? Yeah, Dude, well, and, and I mean, it may have been like, he got a little rattled. Like the, his helmet got knocked off his head. He wasn't even doing anything. And he got like hit with a left cross. It was like, whoa, that I think he's going to be a lot better in this game too. It's like, this just, it's another, it feels he, like a good charger spot. Just, like you said, just hasn't looked right. Look, I, I got the, what I, I got at five and a half, anything over a field goal. I like I'm, if it I'm goes up to six, I'll do it. But I think it's right around going to be the five and a half right until game time. Yep. I'm on the charger side with you here. As we move to Sunday night football, Dolphins at the Eagles. Very good game. We have two teams that are both five and one with the Dolphins. We saw both sides of the spectrum for them last week. They're down 14 early in the game and their defense is just not great. Um, they allowed the Panthers to pick up 21 first downs in the game. Just two less I mean, than them. I'm uh, sitting here at that plus 14. I'm thinking, I'm like, God damn it, dude. You're pretty smart. And my, I know. And then it just. The and then son off. of a bitch, one of my one of my buddies came over to pick something up, and he's like, "Oh, you got money on this game?" I go, "Yeah, I'm sitting on 14 and a half. He goes, "Oh, you're looking great." And, and you like, knew it. Don't say and it. I was, like, I was like, "Dude, why are you talking, man?" I'm like, "You just jinxed it. You just jinxed it, bro." And sure enough, look on one of the side TVs, 28, 14. You know what I mean? It slowly yep. starts drifting away. But uh, I just. Like, you know what the Dolphins are, right? They're number four in DVOA overall. Number one offense, number 27 defense. They're also number 27 defense and success rate allowed. Panthers go seven plays, 64 yards, then 10 plays, 74 yards, back-to-back drive. They take a 14-point lead. Following that, the Dolphins score touchdowns on three straight possessions and five of their next six, so they go up 35-14. Panthers kept moving the ball, though, they had drives, 31 yards, end in a turnover on downs. Eight plays, 40 yards, missed field goal. Ten plays, 51 yards, ends in a turnover on downs. Uh, man, Hill, got to give him some love. He is unbelievable. He had six catches for 163 yards and a touchdown. Did come up hobbling a little bit at the end. Um, the defense is, they just have to account for him everywhere. He could have had a much bigger game even. Right now, he has 814 receiving yards. That's the most ever for a player through the first six games in the Super Bowl era. He has 140 yards more than the guy who's second, which is A.J. Brown. He's the first player in history to have 150 yards or more receiving in four of a team's first six games in a year. And in his career with the Dolphins, he has 2,524 receiving yards in 23 games. That's the fewest games any player has taken to reach 2,500 receiving yards with any single team in history. Like, they're really well-balanced on offense. They run the ball well, and they pass the ball well. McDaniel's got a great offensive scheme. He really does. Um, They're number one offensive DVOA in rushing, number two in passing. They have 15 rushing touchdowns and 15 passing touchdowns. They lead the league in rushing and passing yards, something no team has done since 1941. And they're the only team in the league averaging over 150 yards rushing per game. Uh, They average over 180. They're the only team in the league averaging over 300 passing yards per game. They average 316. So I gave them a lot of credit right there, Eric, but here's what I got to say. 
They're averaging 37.1 points per game. Only the Washington Commanders have played an easier schedule of opposing defenses so far. Here's the list of the defenses that Miami Dolphins have played. Number 26, Chargers. Number 14, Patriots. Number 32, Denver. Number 8, Buffalo. Number 28, Giants. And number 30, Panthers. They've played three of the four worst defenses in the league and five of the worst seven four of the worst seven defenses in the league. They played Buffalo who played them well in that one game and they lost and they played the Patriots and they should have lost that game. They've beat their five wins. The five teams they've beaten are combined five and 24. They played one team with a winning record and lost that game by four touchdowns. Those are just facts, just facts there on the Dolphins. Then you got the Eagles on the flip side, you know, they come off a game where they had four turnovers. Teams that turn the ball over four times in a game are one and twenty-nine over the last three years. There are seven hundred and ninety-seven games where a team had at four to zero turnover differential in the database, and the teams with the turnovers won four point five percent of those games out of seven hundred and ninety-seven. Uh, the Jets scored eleven points off turnovers, and the Eagles lost eighty-one point eight percent in win probability because of those. It was a bad week for Hertz. Uh, you know, he's graded number 11 on the year for a quarterback grade. It was a huge game for A.J. Brown. Seven catches on nine targets, 131 yards. Fourth straight game over 125 yards, which is the longest streak in franchise history. But he only had three targets and two catches in the second half. They struggled to run the ball. Only 80 yards rushing on 22 carries. A lot of that was from Hertz. 47 yards on eight carries. Uh, it just felt like one of those weeks for the Eagles where everything goes wrong turnovers they couldn't run key injury to lane johnson and then they couldn't move the ball after that they had a couple bad drops hertz was off on passes they missed a 37 yard field goal they had three penalties that were automatic first downs for the jets but the defense played fine uh 244 yards allowed 4.1 yards per play allowed they finished the game with only one member of the starting secondary left though eric and you were pointing that out heading into the game that they were pretty banged up and they were sitting a lot of guys yeah i mean like they treated the game like it didn't care and they would beat him anyway. And it, it blew him up. I mean, Slay could have played, didn't play. Carter could have played, didn't play. And the Jets made him play. The Jets made him play for those decisions. Uh, Jets look good and Eagles just didn't make the plays. Devontae Smith is a little bit banged up. And what did I you think, think about late in the game with what they decided to do? So late in the game, they're up by two. They turn the ball over. The Jets get the ball with a chance to take the lead um, with either a field goal or a touchdown. So the Eagles have two timeouts left. If they call their two timeouts, the Jets kick a field goal, and there's 55 seconds left in the game, about like 50-ish seconds, no timeouts, but you only need a field goal. Mm -hmm. Would you rather have that or what the, what the Eagles did? They let the Jets score, but then you've got to go score a touchdown. Even though you've got your two timeouts, you got a little more time. They had a minute and 55 seconds versus 50 seconds, but you need a full touchdown to win the game instead of only needing the field goal. Which, which, do you have a strong stance one way or the other? I mean, with how the game was going, I would have done the field goal. Me too. Um, you know, the thing is with the um, – there's two teams that are like really heavy analytically driven in the NFL. Actually, three teams, excuse me. I forgot about one. Um, Ravens. 
Chiefs and Eagles. And there had to have been some sort of analytical thing that why they did it. Yeah. Um, I look at this game like this Armstead still banged up. I don't know if he's going to go. This is going to be, we saw when the Dolphins played the Bills and their defensive line, how it was going to get home. Tua struggles so much in pressure. Pressure. I think this front four of the Eagles is going to get home. I think Bradbury, Slay, and crew are going to be able to kind of limit what you have going on with um, Waddle, Hill, and company. Aitchin's not there. Mozart is a walking injury waiting to happen. Really don't know what's going on with Jeff Wilson. The rookie Brooks from BYU got banged up. Now you're dealing with the med. It's just, they're just a little bit more banged up. The Dolphins are than people realize. And the Eagles treated that game like a buy. Like, yeah. you know, you got to call a spade a spade. They treated it like a buy. And he caught them. And, they, and, and now they they're, and, and they're, fl- it was, they treated it like a flat spot and, and they got sniped. And now I don't think they're going to do that again because they have a really tough schedule coming up. They play Miami at Washington and then Dallas before a buy. After the buy at Kansas City, Buffalo, San Francisco, right in a row. They play the Chiefs, the Bills. And the and the 49ers, and then they go at Dallas at Seattle. I think they're gonna take this game really seriously. I like them. I locked them in at two. Um uh the Eagles yeah, I got us two. I got them at one and a nice. half. Yeah. So I think I, I'm fine at anything three and under with the Eagles as well. I think I just think they're gonna they're a lot more well rounded of a team than Miami, who's really good offensively, but not. And the Eagles should be able to really run the ball, slow this game down, take the possessions away. Um, I, I like the Eagles a lot in this spot here. And uh, Eric already locked that one in. He got a little better number than I did. Final game, Monday Night Football. We go to the Vikings hosting the San Francisco 49ers. Oh, so before for the- you jump into everything, I'm going to say this. No one has been as critical and Brock Purdy as I have been. With Debo, CMC, Trent Williams hurt, the most impressive thing for me over the weekend was with those guys hurt, he did his job and he drove them down the field against the, and they missed the field goal defense, which is in my eyes, one of the best defenses in the league. So we can say everything we want about Purdy, but in that situation, he did his job. He put his team just, in a position to win. I didn't like Shanahan yeah. there not getting a few extra yards, you know, um, especially with the rookie kicker. Final drive, rookie kicker. Uh, they spike the ball instead of going for a few extra yards. They end up missing a potential game-winning field goal from forty-one yards. Uh, second missed field goal of the day, and yeah, I mean that was. You're worried long-term for San Francisco if they're missing their guys, right? If they're missing some of these key pieces. Like otherwise, if that was a game where they got and we, I'm not patting us on the back because I'm not acting like we. There's plenty of things that we get wrong every week. But we literally were calling the fact that they were using McCaffrey too much in the morning, right before that game. That we yeah. were saying they had not had any injury luck at all, and it's bound to happen. And then, boom, it was like Williams, Debo, McCaffrey all in a row. And I'm going to say that the best matchup, because I always I take little notes, who has the best matchup? The best matchup in my eyes this weekend, wide receiver against DB, is Brandon Ayuk. Like, in my eyes, this is an absolute huge number to be laying with a team whose best offensive lineman 
best wide receiver, best running back are banged up. But then you got Brandon Ayuk, who's going to have a great matchup. To my eyes, it just screams Brandon Ayuk props. Minnesota, I was hypocritical about their offensive line. I do my offensive line grades. I have them right now as a top five unit. I think they're doing a great job, especially in the red blocking game. Um, Obviously, the touchdowns have not been there. That's going to get back to the norm. San Francisco, I feel you can run on them. The issue is they just get up so much. Opposing teams you don't have do it, Dude, they're, they're fourth in defensive DVOA. They rank number two against the pass, the 49ers. They're 22nd against the run. Of the, of the top 10 defensive teams, only one other team is less than number 14 on either side of the ball, and that's the Chiefs who struggle defending the run. Kansas City, 21st against the run. So for a really good defense, they have a glaring weakness, but you said it. It's like, it's not surprising that some of the teams that struggle or some of the teams that are bad against the run, you just can't really run against them, right? Because you're down a lot and it's really hard to stay consistent to that. But um, yeah, that was a great point because a lot of teams, a lot of people sort of think that this team is just really, really dominant defensively. And they're not quite, you know, they're not quite there. And last week was a game where they had their worst success rate on offense since 2017, 35%. It was the first time in nine games they haven't scored 30 points. It was Purdy's first loss as a starter in the regular season. They had 15 games in a row um, where they had won in the regular season. 49ers quarterback saw constant pressure, struggled to get rhythm, just 12 of 27, one touchdown, one interception. He was graded quarterback 26 on the week. Uh, only guys better than him or only guys he was better than were Minshew, Mac Jones, Ritter, and PJ. Uh, he's graded quarterback 19 on the year. He does have an intangible there, though, that Eric was kind of talking about. There's something like Moxie in there with him. Uh, the injuries just obviously hurt them in the game, right? They had only 23 yards rushing in the second half. But we got to remember, they were playing against a team that was playing without their starting quarterback and their starting running back, and they were playing with a third-string quarterback. So, you know, they're not going to get any sympathy from the Browns there. Um, And you want to keep an eye on Williams because he came back into the game, but he allowed three pressures on the final drive, and he was reportedly in a walking boot on the trip home. They got hosed on some penalties late in the game, sure. But it was an awful game for the officials overall. They had 12 penalties, the 49ers, 105 yards. The Browns had 13 for 119 yards. So we can't just say that was the only reason why. Um, This 49ers team gave up 160 yards rushing, first time since week six of last year. Some of their counting stats are good, but as you pointed out, you know, like the Eagles and the Lions, there are a couple other teams that are, like up in games, so you can't run the ball against them a whole lot. 23rd in rushing EPA allowed, 25th in rushing success rate allowed. Uh, before getting hurt, McCaffrey scored a touchdown, 15th straight game with a scrimmage touchdown, tied for the longest streak in NFL history with John Riggins. I mean, it feels like it's a good spot for the Vikings here, right, Eric? I just don't know exactly. Yeah, I'm play that Oak stuff for me. This is just a pass because the. As we uh, finish up here, the Vikings, all six of their games have been decided by one possession, and they're two and four. Remember last year, they were 11 and 0. You just sort of knew it was going to even out at some point. In ESPN's luck metric, they are 32 dead last this year uh, in luck so far. Um, they just haven't looked great on offense without Jefferson, but I, I this was at seven and a half a little earlier. I'm just, I'm staying away on uh, on one spot. 
or the other. So it looks like Eric and I like the Chargers. We like the Eagles. We like the Patriots. We like the Broncos and the one more. Give me one more game that you that you like quite a bit this week. Anything else? Hey, uh, New Orleans. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Saints. There we go. So those will be our five for this week. Eric, buddy, thanks so much. We're going to follow you on uh, social media at etoft21sports all over the place, etoft21 on Twitter. Have a great one, brother. We'll see you on Friday for the winning ticket. We'll be following your podcast and then Sunday morning at 11 a.m. Eastern time. See you later, my friend. Thanks so much, folks. If you're listening uh, on the pod, still a lot more to come. If you're watching on video, make sure to subscribe to the podcast and you can uh, download it. Time to preview another Woodbine card. We're going to look at Friday and the early pick five there up at Woodbine. I'm going to dive into the daily racing form DRF pass performances. There's a new promotion going on right now with DRF.com. You can actually get a $200 signup bonus and free all access pass performances when you sign up and you play through DRF bets. So here's what you want to do. You want to go to DRF bets, use the promo code stakes when you sign up they will give you a $200 match deposit bonus so put 200 in all of a sudden your 200 becomes 400 and following that they'll give you 10 free cards just like we're looking at right now one card then every time you bet 50 bucks you get another card so that way when you're playing with DRF bets you won't have to be spending money on past performances there let's take a look at the early pick five for Friday. Remember, they start in race number two at Woodbine every racing day. Early pick five on Thursday and Friday, 50,000 guaranteed pool. Then on Saturday and Sunday, they bump that thing up to a $100,000 uh, guarantee. I did not have a very strong opinion in race two, which is the first leg of the sequence, the kickoff leg. I'm going to go to the four, who I think sort of light bulb angle with this guy. Took him 14 starts to break his mate, and he finally did. And I think he has a chance to put two together in here. He could get a really nice setup. Silver Smoke is pretty quick. Chairman Layla wants to flash some speed here. I think towards the outside, you're also going to get speed from the 5, 4K Force. You'll also see some speed um, from Silent Warning, Silent Warning there, and possibly even Bayesian Bullet on the outside stretching out. So I'm looking for the four to come from off the pace. I think the five is a little versatile, a horse who's shown that they can sit off a bit. So I'll, I'll use the five underneath. The nine, Killari should get a great trip from off the pace in here. Three and eight would be others. Silent Warning, I'll treat as kind of a wild card. Um, this is a horse who has some good turf form, a couple starts back. And I think those races are not bad at Fort Erie. And then the, the three would be the other one who's shown speed, silver smoke. Yeah, not the strongest opinion to kick it off. Four, five, nine, three, and eight are horses who I'll probably use combinations of in the pick five. As we move to race number three, I'm going to look at the seven in here to start. I like solar a bit because I do think solar's versatility will come in handy. Finalist seems like a pretty one-dimensional speed. Hullabaloo is also pretty quick. You could envision, you know, even one or two others in here. 
flashing speed. And that's why I like Solar with the ability to sit off uh, a bit. So Solar has some tactical speed, like we saw when he went to the lead two starts back. But look, he wasn't going fast that day. He was going 26 and change. I think his best trip is when he has a target and he can sit just behind. Tried a good turf course last time out. I think we can just eliminate that race. And I like Solar in here to sit a very nice trip. The five Newport agent, I think's the horse to beat because he feels like he should get a really good setup. His races on the grass so in, since changing barns have been very good. The six stop the humble brag or stop the humbug is only three for 42. So not a horse that you can really trust, but I do think he's going to get a nice trip in here. So I'll use seven, five, and six in race number three. As we move to the fourth race, maiden 40 claimers going a mile and a 16th on the turf course. I like the nine in here to get things started. This dude, a breeze. Now he debuted on September the 24th, going six on the synthetic. And now he'll stretch out and go longer on the turf. He has three winning turf siblings. You can take a look when you click on the dam and you can see the dam tried turf twice. Uh, didn't have much success there, but three of his siblings have been on the grass and have shown that they can win on it. So there's some turf in this pedigree, no doubt. And I just liked the race overall from him. He hops at the start. He's last about 10 lengths off. And then he gets pushed back a little farther. He was trying to move on the inside and there wasn't a spot there. So even way at the back, he kind of gets shifted and shuffled back a little bit more. He moved through in between horses. He really got into a nice stride late. And now the blinkers come on for the stretch out where he could just be sitting a lot closer in here. I like this dude's a breeze. I'll use the nine with the two chasing trouble. Feels like the horse to beat getting some class relief. The three Pat's gamble should be in the mix throughout. The 10 is another major player in here. War in charge. Those are the ones for me in race number four. Let's move to the fifth race. We've got a maiden $15,000 claiming race in here. I'm going to go to the outside to the 10 visitors. Welcome. There's just no monsters in this field. Uh, This guy debuted on October the 1st against a little bit better. The race was fine. It wasn't awful. He showed a little positional speed. I think there he can improve off of that. And if he can just step forward a little off that race, he really fits with this group. The seven red sneakers feels like the one they'll all have to beat. That last effort was okay. And he's at least shown a little positional speed. The two beyond notice fits with uh, after some trouble last time out, but he did lose to the six computer hacker when they faced each faced off a few starts back. The five would be the other one. Squeeze the Charmin who was a step slow and then rushed up in between up to battle. The blinkers come off. This horse got action in the debut. I think the five's a player. And we move to race number six. You've got Guildsman, who's going to be a heavy favorite, I think, in this race and is sharp and he deserves so. I'm going to use the one and the 14, who I'm treating like a total wild card. Horse who's really quick. And I think from the outside, they're just going to go. Confusing. So I feel like that's got to be the game plan. Send hard. We'll use the one and the 14 there to close out the Friday early pick five sequence at Woodbine. Best of luck. Remember, DRF bets the place to go to get the all access pass performances for free. They'll give you 10 of them when you sign up and use the promo code stakes. They'll give you a $200 match deposit bonus. Find out more at DRF.com. Good luck.
Time to talk some racing for Friday, October the 20th. I've got a couple best bets at Santa Anita for Friday. Remember, DRF has you covered all throughout the Santa Anita Classic meet. PPs, clocker reports, DRF picks, all of the help you need, everything you need to succeed in your wagering at DRF.com. So just a couple best bets for me on Friday. I found a few horses that were big prices that I wanted to share with you. Let's talk about the fifth race and the ninth race, two horses that were on my radar. So fifth race, mile on the turf. It's a high-level maiden claimer, maiden 62-5 claimer. I'm going to look at the number five in here. Happy as a clam. So this Philly debuts in go- at Golden Gate back in May and sort of ran around the track. I think you can put a line through it because following her debut, she's off for a few months. So let's not even really wor- like focus a whole lot on that debut race. It's a synthetic sprint against a little bit better. The race that I'm focusing in on is the turf race, August 27th, her most recent race. When she finished sixth, she was beaten three lengths that day. It's nice about this Philly. She improved in that start on the grass, and we could understand why. Her dam wasn't a winner on the turf, but she hit the board on the grass. She's actually a half-sibling to a horse named Caraba, who was a grade three winner, won the Bobby Frankel here back in 2012. She's also a sibling to um, another couple of turf winners right here. So we see two other turf winners. There's there's grass in this pedigree. It was no surprise to see her shows that that improvement in her second start. Now, let's watch the race on August the 27th. So we're going to be looking at the number one in the race that we're watching here. And I'll talk you through this race as we watch it on video. I thought she had a fine start, you know, in this big field. There's a field of 12 and she draws the rail. You want to try to have a good start so you're not, like, pushed down in it. And she ends up settling... I'm in the middle of the pack. She's about five, six lengths off. She's in the seventh position early, but because she's down on the inside, she's saving some ground. So she's not in a bad spot here. This was also her first time going long. This was her first start on the turf. This was her first start in a few months. She was able to secure a pretty nice spot in the inside now, and she's able to save some ground down there. She did kind of Get shuffled though That's the problem It's a nice spot to be saving ground But then you're sort of at the mercy of racing luck Right When you don't have a whole lot of room So she's traveling pretty well at this point And it looks like she wants to go um, and, and she wants to go forward a little bit But she waits And she's going to get shuffled a little bit She's right here traveling pretty well And she wants to go She's trying to follow the nine But in front of her the horses stop and her momentum is stopped. So she's just kind of waiting. Now the nine's able to kind of push through and she pushes through behind. She's still waiting down on the inside though for a little more room. And she just kind of keeps to the inside. She's able to split horses and duck down to the rail. I thought she ran kind of deceivingly well. Right here, things get tight for her. So she's got to push down to the inside, having to alter course. May have been the difference between finishing third and sixth in that race. No joke. And the difference on the running lines, right? When the horse finishes third versus finishing sixth, you just feel so much different about them. I don't think she's far behind some of her rivals in here. And the horse who beat her that day, Annie's Joy, came back to win her next start. Earned an 83 buyer speed figure in doing so and beating optional 50s. So I think it's a really nice spot. 
for Happy as a clam Second start off the bench, second time going long Second start on the turf Plenty of reasons why this filly can take a nice step forward here She's 12-1 to on the morning line If we can get anything above 6 I still think that's fair value on her Let's flip to the ninth race On Friday at Santa Anita for my other play We only have two of them, but they're both big prices So if even one of them gets the job done We'll be in nice shape here I'm going to talk about Kits Katie, the three I actually gave this filly out last time But the race was supposed to be on the turf And it was taken off the grass So A lot of my relevant angles We never really got to see play out She had legitimate trouble On August the 25th We can watch her race You don't normally see the running line Just say rough trip Well that was the case for Kits Katie She's the number two In the race that we're watching here And she just badly got stopped in this race So, fine start She's down towards the inside And so again, we're watching the number two Kids Katie in this race And she got money this day too She got bet all the way down to five to two Because people saw this, right? People saw this or this trip They They saw the debut where she got Legitimate trouble on July the 22nd And they wanted to play her back So in this race Kids Katie sitting a couple lengths off And now you see what ends up happening She's the number two She's got the orange silks And she's backing up now Because there's just not a lot of room in front of her And now when the horses to her outside Move up alongside of her She gets pinned This poor filly's honestly had legitimate trouble In all three races But, but this was the one that sort of stood out to me Because I wanted to play her back on September the 30th um, and we're watching the August 25th race Now, loaded, down inside Just nowhere to go And now she's stuck because Horses are the outside of her Too deep And then inside, in front of her just nowhere to go And she's just completely stopped Now, following this They tried a dirt race That was taken off and it was on a wet track I think we can put a line right through it Because she got stopped on the wet track that day And then just couldn't come on again She's trying, she's looking for some room down inside And she gets stopped again in between horses That's why you say rough trip for Kits Katie That August 25th trip was brutal Her debut race, she had trouble And then she comes back on September the 30th And again, has trouble She's just due for a little bit of luck The blinkers come off today Kits Katie, muddied up form there in race number 9 at Santa Anita on Friday Remember if you are ever playing the races from Santa Anita Head to drf.com DRF picks, clocker reports, and past performances For every racing day Good luck on Friday at Santa Anita Download the Stable Duel app and play today. Oh, it's that time again this week in Stable Duel. Gina Bacola here alongside my good buddy, Barry Spears, the sniper. We are going to talk about Friday and Saturday, Keeneland, both days. We'll have contests you can play for Stable Duel as we record this on Thursday evening. 
I've already looked. There are multiple contests that you can jump into for Friday for Keeneland. So we're going to do our best to help you out as you play, race, win. Barry, buddy, how are things going on your end? Hanging in there. Another week, another Keeneland stable to event, and I'm and happy. <laughs> yeah, so we'll both give out a few best bets for Friday and for Saturday. We're always trying to uh, give you some prices, some horses that might not be really obvious on your radar. So we're always looking for five to one and up in the no chalk zone. And uh, remember, Stable Duel is a an app that you can play daily horse racing contests. Some days they have free games. Um, they've been really expanding too with the styles, the format. They have harness races now we see jumps races uh now so they have all sorts of options for you to play and we love playing in these games at keeneland we play uh, a lot of times at Gulfstream park at santa anita they've got some contests at woodbine wherever they have contests we like to look and uh right now for keeneland every day there's racing at keeneland you always have a couple options so we dive into the daily racing form past performances whenever you need to, to look i always go to drf Make sure you head on over there. They have a lot of really great promotions. I'm going to have a couple of videos coming out showing you about the new promotions. And they have the all-access PPs that we're looking at. We can go, uh, if you just like the regular DRF, you know, if you're used to the form that you look, you can go classic. If you're someone who's like us and we like to be able to look at the charts and the replays and the stats, that's Formulator. And you can also click to Timeform US with the all-access PPs. And you can get the Timeform US format. Um, which is really cool now. So, and it's all right there, Barry. I think that's my favorite part of it. How easy it is just to click from one set of PPs to the next back and forth. You don't have to open up a bunch of tabs, log in, log out the different stuff. That's why I like the past performances because we're looking every day or at a bunch of races. We want to be able to save ourselves some time. Yeah. I mean, with, with both of those two things right next to each other, I, I mean, it, it's so convenient and you can see the, the, the formulator, and then you can flip over to the time form pace, uh, pace projector, which is excellent. You know, it, they're both great tools and, and I use them constantly. <laughs> and we're going to use them right now to talk about Friday, October the 20th out at Keeneland, just a couple weeks away from the Breeders' Cup. A good time to be a fan of racing with a lot of big opportunities coming up in the rest of the Keeneland meet and then on to the big weekend in just a few weekends with the Breeders' Cup. Let's talk about Keeneland. I'm going to start in race five. Barry has plays in the seventh and the tenth. I'm also in the seventh and I've got one in the ninth. Barry. I'm going to go uh, and I'm going to uh, say this course reminds me of one of my favorite movies. Smokey! Smokey! <laughs> Take it up back there! Smokey! In uh, Friday, just an all-timer. And uh, I think this course, Smokey, fits well. This is a five-and-a-half maiden special weight on the turf for two-year-olds. And if we look at what Smokey Smokey has done so far in his career, his debut at Saratoga, going five-and-a-half, Really good. Like a repeat of that effort puts him right on the wire. Mm -hmm. Following that, they stretch him out a little bit. And in his second start at, at Kentucky, it's not bad at all. On September the 3rd, he was inside. Um, he was just a couple lengths off, but he was six. So he kind of like backed up to stay out of traffic. He got shuffled badly on the inside. And, it, you know, he ended up closing really well. In between and a three-way photo, he was just super unlucky that day. He comes back uh, in his next start, and he has like a fast start. He, you know, they tried to get more aggressive with him because he got in trouble the race before. 
And I think he just went a little bit too fast early on going long and, and, you know, put a line through that now because he's cutting all the way back to five and a half and he's going to be fitter. He has a little tactical speed too. Uh, I like him in this spot. I think he's fit. He's got some bottom compared to a lot of the others in here. If we can just get something close to that debut race, that'll put him right on the wire and he's eight to one. So for stable duel, that'll cost us 3000 in our stable duel lineup. He just, he seems like a really nice fit to me in here. Yeah. You know, I, I like that angle that um you know this horse is just cutting back i i really like that especially in a race like this but i will say about the favorite or a horse that's probably going to get bad is the wesley ward horse outside there spirits mischief you know wesley ward is you know what bob baffert is to delmar wesley ward is to keeneland <laughs> yeah and if you can beat him in any race doesn't matter what if you can beat him at any time on a card, you're going to make money. And I think this is a good opportunity to do that, especially, you know, he, he kind of concentrates on these uh, five and a half furlong sprints on the turf. You you always see a Wesley Ward horse in these events. And if you can beat them, and this one has, a, a, a you know, a terrible post, you got to try to do it because you're going to make money. Spirits Mischief will take a ton of that in here. I'm giving a look to Smokey. Smokey. <laughs> Debo, you got knocked up. I, you know, that's, that's the only <laughs> problem about when you're trying to quote Friday, right? You got to stop a lot of parts. Cussing. I was going to say there's a lot of bleeping, a lot of bleeping going on. But that was one of those movies I remember watching when I was young that like my cousin introduced me to. My cousin Vicky was a few years older than me. She was like my fun, bad influence cousin, you know, the one that would get me into like all of the bad stuff a little like early on. Like uh, all of my first memories of doing this or doing that were like, oh, that was Vicky took me over there. Or like, yeah, Vicky drove me in. I remember watching some of these, the movies like that and her being like, okay, don't tell your mom and don't tell my parents that I let you watch this with it, you know? And so uh, shout out to Vicky who, uh, who got me to mature a little quicker in a lot of ways. Uh, Barry, you and I will both head to race number seven for our next play and it is a uh, another turf sprint race we're gonna go uh five and a half on the turf in race number seven and this one's a second level allowance here talk to us about who uh who caught your eye in this one yeah this is another five and a half furlong race and you know who shows up here again it's wesley ward he has the 10 who is the morning line favorite uh shoot out the lights and you know this horse has a ton of speed but there's also some speed in there the you know, besides that horse. And as long as Wesley's horses aren't lone speed, I yep. deem them beatable. Yep. And this horse um, is going to be forced from the outside. There's speed just right to her outside also. And then a couple more to her inside. Cora Pearl will probably be have to be forced. Like all three of these outside horses, probably all four of them four of are going to have yeah. to go. Yep. And, and, and I'm hoping that does happen because I ended up on number three. So, Oh, there we go together. I thought, I yeah. thought when we both, when I saw that you were in the seven, <laughs> I thought we might be on this horse together. Talk to us a little bit about soul. Hope. Yeah. I mean, this horse hasn't done anything wrong on the turf. I, I no. know the, the, the four wins were at colonial. Um, but comparatively speaking, this horse raced just as good a chance as anybody in this race. Um, and I, I think this horse might actually end up getting bet down me, me quite too. a bit. She's uh, just like, she's one of those horses who you can see that for uh, like a smaller barn that doesn't have as many horses, right? They just can get a little more aggressive with where they place the horses, right? They can place them at lower levels. And that's what we saw here. This horse debuted for Maiden 35 on the dirt. 
probably was better than that race, like showed speed and just went a little too far, like a little too fast early. And then was off for a while. Like something might've went wrong right off the bat. And that's why they go even a little lower and try the grass. What what's impressed me too. Like the first two wins on the grass were more like speedy wins. Right. You were better, you were pretty, better than the competition and just right. kind of run away. The yeah. last two in particular, the one on August the 18th, that was the one that was like, okay, wow, this, this horse is like, pretty serious and means some business because she was right with the leaders and then she took back and because of that she ends up getting pushed all the way back like five lengths out of it you know actually probably like seven lengths off at one point she was sixth and she was like looking around for room there wasn't much and she moved between she ducked inside in between again um so now she's given us the like she can win from off the pace a little more. She can win if things go wrong for her and she gets shuffled back. She can sit close if they're not going all that fast, but we think they are. I think she's just so adaptable. Yeah. The versatility was the key for me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, obviously the source has wins on the lead and then off the pace. So uh, I'm thinking this source could be anywhere like, they, they, they put. I mean, look at the and The four wins are almost in four different ways. You know, like yeah. one of them was like run off. The other was like sit and move early. The other one was really sit patiently. And then this last one was even farther on the turf race was even farther back than the running line would suggest. Like at one point, this horse was like seven lengths out, kind of looking around for room and just boom, there was room here. Move, nope, none here. Move to this next hole. Oh, nothing here. Duck down to the inside again. Just like super handy. Uh, soul hope. Barry and I both land on this one. Yeah, and, and you know what? The, the rest of this field isn't super great either. Nope. Um, that That's another reason. You know, the one, the two doesn't look all that great. Hasn't run well in a while. Um, and, and coming off a of layoffs, that horse obviously has issues. Probably on his best day, that would probably be the horse I would gravitate to is the two redefined. But I can't trust that horse. No. At all. And, and even the 10. Um, hasn't been out since August and after a couple months off and just seems like, right. I, I don't know to, if, to beat that horse. If she wants to sit off at all either. And she, like we said, she's going to be caught in between. So soul hope for Barry and me six to one on the morning line. Will it cost you 5,000 in your stable dual lineup? That's, that's the par that you need. That's what you're looking for when you're building your lineup, right about this price, every race soul hope. And like I said, if I'm betting this race, if she were four to one, like seven to two or above, I'd think that's probably fair for her. There's probably a few horses that'll be like in that four to one range in here. Yeah. Yeah. You, you figure the, the Wesley Ward horse would probably be around the morning line, nine to five, eight to five ish. Yep. Um, so redefined and soul hope will probably be really close. In that next year. I agree. Right. Yep. And we lean with soul hope. Uh, I'm going to go to the ninth for my next Friday play. And then Barry will close this out with the bailout Barry play in the, uh, the 10th and final. So for me, race number nine, Oh, shout out to, to, to Tonka old wrestler in the 19, uh, 1990s, early nineties there, the native American wrestler for WWF. And then he, he uh, turned bad guy. He was in the corporation with the million dollar man. Some matches with Lex Luger. Got to get in a wrestling plug anytime that I can uh, in this race, Barry, we're going on the grass. We're going a mile on the turf. This is a third level allowance race. It's one of those races. That's $130,000 purse. It's like bigger than Oof, some stakes brutal. races you'll find. Um, 
Easter, super honest, like super solid. I don't have any knocks on him. He's just going to be a little short in this race. I do think he's the horse to beat, but a horse that I think will get a similar trip and will just be a much better price. And I think because his speed figures are a little low, it, he may be a, a bigger price. That's the 10 King Max who I land on here. So this is a horse who came from overseas and ran really well in uh, some spots overseas after a big victory, stepped up into group stakes company and was facing group stakes company four times. Three of them were not bad against legitimate horses and was great. Uh, group three placed in one. And then the final race of 2022, we can just eliminate that race because he was off for a long time following that. So just put a line right through. He shows back up. Uh, like 10 months later at Monmouth Park and he wins easily coming from off the pace in his next start. He wins again really easily. And then they go up to Woodbine. They take a shot on a synthetic track and a graded stakes race. He's only four to one in that spot coming off a couple big wins. And in that race, he just hooks a horse named Tyson who goes wire to wire. This is a pretty nice horse. Yeah. He he's went over nice. to to Saratoga, he was third in the Jockey Club Gold Club. We've talked about him a few times, Barry, when we previewed some of those Woodbine days. Like he's he's not done a whole lot wrong in his career, you know. Um, no, so he's, he's definitely a, a tough, <laughs> tough foe. And when when you when you go against him, but the thing about King Max is the um, the trainer does this quite a bit. I, I see George Delgado do this kind of maneuver a lot, where he brings a horse or has a horse from overseas. Runs them, they run well. Whatever happens, they they get laid off and then come back and they come back running. Yep. So I would expect the same thing for King Max. His two races were good. Then his synthetic race, you can make an excuse for it. He's chasing a lone speed winner, a really good horse. And the third place finisher comes back to win their next start out of that one. Uh, won the grade three Durham Cup uh, following that. So we were talking just about a lot of stakes quality horses and remember he's in an uh, allowance race it's a strong allowance race but he should get the trip in here because i you know he i'm looking at the way the race shapes up sort of going through the field you've got from the inside to tonka's really fast he's got to go Xavier dave's a little bit more of a oppressor uh cool house has actually shown a little bit of speed main event mm -hmm. wants to go no doubt about it you've got um one or two more to the outside. Strong quality has to go one dimensional, just really wants to go. So you're looking right there at possibly even the 11 forever super who's drawn towards the outside and definitely the 12 gut and row five horses ish that want to be close to or right on the lead. So it sets up for Easter. Who's the favorite, but he's five to two. And you look at a horse like King max who he's progressing but his last start, they took a shot on a synthetic surface, just put a line right through it. If he was able to take one more step forward off of like his 89 buyer and just progress slightly off of that, he would be right there with Easter and the some of the races that Easter has been running recently in these like low 90s speed figure races. So yeah, I think he's going to get the trip. I think he's a little sneaky with the muddied up race last time out, but we know these horses at Woodbine and he exits a good race. And as Barry was pointing out, we've seen... This is a good barn. They know what they're doing. Oh, absolutely. They're just not as big, quite as big on the national scale, you know, but they pop with some big horses now and then. And they, they really know how to, uh, how to, you know, campaign horses and what to do. I like King Max at eight to one for my final Friday play. Barry, you know, you're going to go ahead. It's just one of those things, you know, as a, as a, 
not a an absolute would be a bad way to put this, but one of those racing kind of mantras that that are out there. When you see in in the past performances, when you see two horses that have speed, you want to pick one. When you see more than two, you look for alternatives. Yep, exactly. <laughs> and 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 you know that kind of sticks with me. It's not an absolute, no, but it does but ring true a lot. Hundred percent. Because you're abs- you're definitely right. Because when there's only two, the difference between two speeds and three speeds in a race is just night and day. Night right. and day. Because mm-hmm. the, the two speeds, it's so often that one of them sits back. One of them is a little slower than the other. One of them gets a really good aggressive ride. The other's a little flat-footed. But when you have that three or four and you really are, are it, it just makes you feel, sometimes you're wrong. Sometimes it doesn't play out that yeah. way. But you feel like you're like, you studied for the test, right? And you feel good about it going in. Like, <laughs> Absolutely. okay, here's who I know how to eliminate. Here's who I know. These are the couple horses I can pick from. And let's always try to pick the best price if we can. Right. You and know? that's, that's, that's kind of how I approach it. You know, I do mm-hmm. the whole pace speed class form and then it kind of work my way from there. That's why I don't really spend a way too inordinate amount of time handicapping. I spend a lot more time constructing bets. But if you can get a process down where you can kind of wade through the nonsense and get to where you want to be, that that's probably the best approach. Yep. And it's, it's so cool when, when we talk, we chat a little different about some of them, but the process I love when we talk out the races. And then one of my other favorite people to do it when she comes on the shows with me uh, is Emily Gullickson. We'll go through, especially on the big days and kind of like, it's just like we're saying, talk out the process. Here's the horses that kind of fit, but then like these two are too short. They're not even going to be on our radar. Like they can get the exactly. trip and win, but like they're a little short. They're just not worth the play in here. Like now let's isolate these two or three horses that feel like this is their time. This is their race. They're coming into it at the nice, they, at the nice like form, second off, third off, whatever it is. And they're going to be the right price. And that's, you know, that's what you're looking for. I think mm-hmm. as a, that's when all the elements come together and you're like, especially ah, when you're one shot, <laughs> if you're the type of person that's probably listening to us here, if you're the type of person that plays like Barry and I, and probably most of us do where we're not betting with thousands and hundreds of thousands to try to win on like short two to ones or nine to five. Some people do that. If you have that, the money and you can quickly like flip it around and you're confident on those horses, there's no problem with that. But I think for most people, the fun part about horse racing is how you can play with a little to win a lot. And it can be a really challenging puzzle. And the fact that we're not just using five by five by five by five in every race, you know, and you are, Hey, I don't like this favorite. We're really going to chuck this horse out, you know, like let's play against them. That's, I, that's what we are. I think most of us are trying to do in horse racing, you know? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's just like, you know, the stock market, you want to get in low and get out high. Exactly. You know, you, you know, make your bet for, you know, 20, 30 bucks. You want to get out <laughs> and, and hopefully that can turn into, you know, 1100 bucks. And as um, we, uh, oh yeah, go ahead. That, that's exactly what we're in this for, you know, and, and me and you in particular kind of play similarly mm-hmm. in that fashion. But, you know, there's something to be said to hone the craft in that way. And then if you get confident, once you do those things and you and you go with the get in low get out high kind of you know um mentality you can always raise those limits Mm -hmm. and play bigger that way and you keep those good habits as you go along exactly you play multiple times or you just play 
um, into some bigger pools, maybe, or maybe you, maybe you are days where you raise your budget a little bit, but it's still in a, I'm going to throw in a few extra prices, right. And not yep. play chalkier, right. Hey, on a breeder's cup day or days where there's a bigger pool, maybe I only play a $50 pick four normally, but this day I'm going to play for 80 or a hundred, but I'm still not going to just throw in a bunch of bad chalks, right? right? Like my exactly. approach is still going to be good. And so, yeah, that's, that's what it comes down to. Just trying to develop those, those good habits as best you can. I've actually learned this a lot more Barry in, um, in just taking that same approach in more sports betting too, because in sports betting, it's so funny. You know, you, everybody will only remember what you just saw. And that's <laughs> what everybody wants to like, especially in a game like football, where there's only 16, 17, you know, and it's once a week. So you have that game. And then for the next four five, six days, that's all you're talking about is what happened that one time, not like baseball or basketball, where maybe the next day or two days later, you can kind of get that bad taste out of your mouth and you can sort of flip it so that the narratives aren't quite as hot and cold, but like football, you know, we just saw a team like the 49ers kick the crap out of the Cowboys two weeks ago on Sunday night football. And it was like the 49ers are the best team. How are they ever going to lose? They've got an incredible defense. <laughs> Their offense is amazing. They've got everything. And then the next week they run into the Browns and like three key guys get hurt. And all of a sudden they can't even move the ball at all. You know, it's just one of those things where it's so funny because everybody would have wanted to play the 49ers. And that was a game where the, the, the spot there, was definitely the Browns just sort of knowing that e the Browns were going to have a good defense. The 49ers kind of got fluffed up and puffed their chest out because they saw how good they were against Dallas. It's, it's really fun when you, you mention it. And that's what my buddy, Eric, who, uh, who does a lot of the shows with me too. He always says when we're doing the, the games by low, you know, but you know, you, that's what you want to do. This is a team that's got really, really, they're at the lowest value point right now. Yeah. I you mean, know? you would think anybody that plays long shots should always have uh kind of an edge in that regard because mm -hmm. they're not looking for what i call the janet jackson the what have you done for me lately they're looking for something deeper yep exactly in, in prior games that would come that's out what in the next game so that's what everything is about it's spoke like honestly one of my major approaches is i think when people look at the uh the races sometimes and they see like they'll go quickly and they'll be like up 20 to one and they just pass a horse like those are the horses I want to dive the most into. Hell yeah. Right. Like, <laughs> you know, like, and so it's funny because I see people or I hear people sometimes talk, and it's like, wow, my approach is so opposite of that. It's like, oh, this 20 to one shot has no shot. I want to find why does this horse have a shot? Let me deep and sometimes it they don't, but I just hear horses get dismissed like that. And it's like, you know, I'm trying to find the, right. They're the looking for I call them I call those separator horses. Exactly. When you're in multi pools, that's that's the thing. You need a horse that separates you from everybody else. And and those are the ones, you know, those twenty to ones that nobody's looking at. Those are the ones you include on your ticket. And those are the ones that, you know, make your payout grow exponentially. Talk to us about race number ten on Friday, my man. Close us yeah, out on Friday cards. You know, an inexpensive claimer you know twenty thousand non-winners of two but the Very purse is forty three thousand yeah, yeah. <laughs> got it gotta be you know the one owners or, or trainers coming after me exactly um but there seems to be a lot of speed here uh the outside horses in particular the 11 captivated drama thank god in greyhound tons of speed mahoney road who's four to one on the line should have show a lot of speed too higher speed yeah I mean, those just those alone. 
will be should flying. It, right. Should have enough speed to to help the horse that I like, who is number seven, Libertango. Nice. Um, he's coming off a couple of efforts on the turf, which doesn't bother me at all. The the fact the 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 reason I like him is he came back running. He was off from June. 20th to August 30th, and he came back running. His workouts seem to indicate that he does like the dirt. He, he's got a couple of nice works at Keeneland, September 11th, September 21st, that were pretty quick. And this should put this horse in a good position to catch a great trip. Yeah. Because I'm, I'm, I'm sure Wayne Catalano is going to tell him not to go and get into a speed duel. Completely because this horse agree. is fast enough. He, but he can do it sort of naturally, to... but exactly. And and honestly, it's a little hidden because at Turfway, when he broke his maiden, he he was down inside and he's just like better than that field, right? Yep. So he that's, like he wins that was. race. Then he comes back at Keeneland, and that was like those were a couple tough races, especially Way the first one. He's just in, you know, he's in a first level allowance race against like real, real tough horses, and he was 58 to one that day. He came back in his next start, it was a little softer spot. And he showed speed again, but the race was pretty strong. There were multiple next out winners that come out of it. They tried the turf a couple times, and it's a good sandwich spot where now he's going to come back second start off the short break. And what what's nice about him is we don't want him to be on the lead, but we know he naturally has enough speed to where he can just stay within striking range. He doesn't have to be like way, way out of it. Right. And that's that's going to be the trip here because the, the horse that's the favorite on the morning line, Dual Monarchy, is a looks like a dead closer. He just doesn't run early. I mean, granted he is dropping down into this level of competition. Um but if they're going but, that quick and he's yes, like he's going to get parked. Mm -hmm. And 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 I think that this horse is probably going to get a better trip based on that. I mean, projection-wise, this horse should should be right out of that first flight. Mm -hmm. And if let's just say, you know, one of those four horses on the outside just doesn't want to go and and kind of go for the lead that's still okay because this horse is fast enough to create his own trip in that regard and the drop down is perfect i i think all systems are go libertango to close it out on the friday card at keeneland so there's a look at friday at keeneland let's pull up some saturday keeneland as uh we get you all ready for the saturday keeneland card so, Barry, I'm going to have three plays on Saturday. I'm going to be looking at races four, seven, and eight for Keeneland for Saturday. Let's uh, nice. share I'm the other four, part six, of our and screen. nine. Okay. So, we'll go uh, pretty similar in a few different races at Keeneland. StableDuel.com. You can find the schedule there. I've been doing some write ups too. So, sometimes Bree will post those um, if you ever want to kind of get a little bit of a help on the written form, you can check out the website. There's also help sometimes with the harness racing contest with the jumps contest from all sorts of different people. So Barry, we are both in race number four for Saturday. As we look at the DRF past performances, fourth race, we will go a mile on the turf course. Start us off in this one. My friend, who are you looking at? This is a pretty decent um, event here. You got some like horses that are not, you know, upper tier stakes horses, but all, most of these horses are, are really stakes caliber yep. horses. So, you know, um, it, this is another one where it looks like the pace might get a little hot. You know, do you love me has some speed and, and we'll probably have to go uh, just based on the post position. 
Orvre. I don't know how you say that, Orv. but yeah, that horse definitely needs to go. Um, stretching out, coming from Kentucky Downs, I would gather this one would be placed on the lead. Sweet Danny Girl does her best running on the front end. <clears throat> so there's quite a bit of speed here. And honestly, it doesn't leave much else. I mean, taking uh, taking to the cleaners has a lot of speed. Um, Via Reggio will probably want to be forwardly placed, but just won't be on the lead. I ended up on number five, Braganza. First time on the turf. And I think this horse might have a little bit of an edge just based on the trip that, that uh, she's going to get. We're looking for the same exact trip with horses and our horses are right next to each other with the five and the six. <laughs> Cause exactly the way you're mapping this race out. That's exactly what I'm hoping for with lady hideaway. Right. And that's, those were the two that I kind of narrowed it down to. And I just took the bigger price. Yeah. And I just don't think, cause I don't think lady hideaway is as fast as some of the others. So I think she could end up in a really nice trip in a really nice spot. Mm -hmm. she, Plus she has, she has turf experience that, yeah. that my horse doesn't have, but that's but where kind I'm of the built into the, the price. Yeah. And it's built into the price there for you. And you can just eliminate the good track. Two starts back, like toss the races on the, the good off races. Tracks. She's awful. Yeah. Yeah. Like terrible. off track. Didn't like off track. Didn't like, and then what are you left with? The last three races or victories, uh, a runner up. Think this horse would be the favorite. Yeah. If you just looked at that. Yeah, if you just eliminate a couple of those, um, what's cool with uh, your DRF past performances too, you could take a look and see that her dam was successful on the turf, uh, was a turf winner. Her dam actually debuted sprinting on the turf and won the career debut, then came back in career start number two and was stakes placed. And in the third start, didn't really, didn't I think got pulled up basically in that race and that was towards the end, but showed some turf ability. Um, yeah, this is a horse who who really fits. I, I think a very sneaky one as well. Uh, Game Girl, her half-sibling, multiple winner on the turf. Uh, you have Grand Grand, her half-sibling, who only raced once on the turf, didn't win but finished third, uh, was not bad that day. Uh, La Viexa, turf-winning sib. So there's just a lot of turf in there as well. Yeah, I, I and, you know, uh, Eddie Keneally does a good job with horses like this, so – I, I think this one is going to be primed for a good effort. And I, I like the first time turf angle because it, it's going to throw everybody off. People are like, oh, there's, there's better horses in here, ones that have turf form, so on and so forth. And you dismiss horses like this who probably have a better than average chance to win, better than their morning line chance. So Bragaza for Barry, for me, it was Lady Hideaway, was third here last year or, or like earlier this year in a similar spot in an allowance race, just like this on April the 16th. And that was in the first start off the bench and ran really well that day. Following that race, three straight races against stakes company. And only one of them wasn't that great. You know, the, the mint julep was not bad. Finished fourth that day against tough company came back in the anchorage and was third on yielding turf that day after flashing speed. And then at Ellis park, on August the 6th, didn't really kind of had some trouble. was a little bit wide. It just wasn't a great trip. Came back on September the 15th at Churchill Downs. Fine start, was just behind the leaders, moved to the inside, was waiting, was traveling well, had nowhere to go, tried to move in between, then had to try the rail, had no room until it was, it was late. Unlucky. Those were the notes from one of the best note track uh, trip takers that I, I 
that out there, me, you know? So <laughs> like, uh, Lady Hall, Lady Hideaway for me, Barry is one that I think uh, fits really well. So we're both looking for that trip. I think with the speed that Barry has mentioned, there's three or four at least that want to be on the lead in here. We want the horses that can sit behind them, but that don't have to be coming from way, way out of it and dealing with the traffic and all the trouble back there. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, this is kind of, I hate to say it, it, it probably will end up being sort of a rider's race because the yeah. field isn't too big. Hopefully there's no scratches, um, but this should be a really good race to watch also. So, Barry, you are going to look at race number six, I believe, on Saturday. Then I'll go to the seventh. Talk to us about race number six. It is the, oh, the stakes race, the Perryville. We've got uh, Verifying favored from the rail. Yep. And I am trying to beat Verifying, and I'm also trying to beat Confidence Game. You know, I was under the impression <laughs> that Verifying was going to run in the Breeders' Cup. <laughs> oh, I know. Like, I mean, at least at in least the dirt in the mile. Sprint. Or those yeah, sprint, dirt, right? Sprint, dirt mile. One or the like, other, yeah. This just, and I, cause I have him in a fantasy league. And I think they said that, like, now they, they're going to try to plan, like, for the Malibu at the end of the year as, like, a test. But that seems like you can run the odd. Breeders' Cup and then do that after for a horse who's been in some big races against big horses throughout the, the bulk of the year. I, it just, there's another horse at Santa Anita that reminds me of this on, um, on Saturday. Um, in uh dua it's in the stakes oh, race it's yeah, a path yeah, yeah. horse and it's like my whole thing is just this couldn't have been the plan all along no way there, there's something that had to go wrong for this horse to end up in this race because it's not graded first of all i mean and and really just, the only bad race this horse's run was the derby and and that's kind of a i know he's been a a really honest in, in general he's, he's been, been really, really honest good. He's had, he had trouble in the Rebel that day, too. He's kind of in, in traffic and got shuffled. Just eliminate the Derby. The other races are good. Like, he fits. You feel like between seven and a mile, he'd be he'd be really good. And maybe right. next year, the type of horse who can go a little longer, you know, right? When they get older and then stretch out a little more. But, yeah, I was disappointed to see him show up in here because I figured, oh, yeah, dirt mile, sprint, you know. But right, he's, he's good enough to do either. And to, I, it's just weird that he ends up here. And that's what is kind of gave me the, the, the question mark. Take a swing know? against. Right. Because he's all, he's down on the rail, which is not. the. So he has to go either. really, right. you know, and like that, he hasn't been that kind of a horse either. I think he just likes sitting off a little more, you know, I so, think so too. And, and you know, he's not the quickest at this particular distance. No, it, no. So I, I think there's a chance that he can get headed up and, and beat. Uh, Venkman has some speed. And I don't think that really Venkman was kind of forced to. No, to he's a, this a nice horse. Yeah. yeah, he's a very, very nice horse. And I think those two are, are really going to hook up. And that le led me to the three horse post time. Sure. I, I think this, this pace might get a little heated. If not, verifying probably wins for fun. Um, if nobody this horse is runs good, with though. verifying. Post time, he's probably gonna, yeah. If, if verifying doesn't get any pressure, he's probably going to win. If he gets pressure, post time, I think, is is a lot better than he looks on paper. And his his buyer numbers it, this, seem a little lower, but but he's I will say this happens. This happens at the lower tracks. Mm -hmm. I'm not trying to be that like, but this like no, I, it's true. Speed figures are 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 awesome and they're helpful, but we see them sometimes get raised and get hired. It's like. They're just at the lower tracks 
you're not going to see as many of the consistently big figures. It happens on synthetic surfaces at smaller tracks too. Generally, the big figures are on the bigger circuits where you're going to see. And I, I think this horse is better than those numbers might suggest. And there are a lot of gear down, you know, like right. he's winning by open lengths every time. And as so, a, which is funny because it's, it's also different when you do it like as a closer versus a speed horse, because when you do it as a speed horse, a lot of times you run these horses off their feet and that's when you get these monster speed figures and you win by like this horse is coming from way out of it and then getting geared down in sprints, which is crazy. Right. And that, that's what stuck out to me. And even his last race, he probably needed it. That's probably why yeah. he get this, this is the first slow. start in eight months, and, nine months. And, and he won for fun. I mean, granted, it was it was a much lower level, but he needed the race. It was clear. Um, but I can't say just looking at, you know, let's look at Ray's Kane. I can't say that Ray's Kane is that much better than the three. Nope. I agree. Completely you know, agree. And one's four to one. And the other's 15 to one. I'm going to take the 15 to one, especially in a race like this, where there, you know, they're going to crush verifying. Verifying is probably going to be about one to five. Well, what's nice in stable duel too, for example, in this type of a race, like this is a horse who we feel pretty confident in is going to be coming late and passing some horses late and should step forward. Second, start off the bench. And in this field, you hit the board even in stable duel. You're picking up some points. This horse is only going to cost you 500 with that 15 to one morning line. So, yeah, this is I a. Mean, I almost went to the six, and and that one looks similar. Yeah, the same type and, of trip. But I think the the morning line is a little off here, and I I don't think it's going to be bet the way they're yeah. showing. I think and a this... lot of these horses behind verifying are going to be around the same price. Mm -hmm. So like confidence game, you know, six seven to one. Post time, probably about ten to one. Raise Kane is probably going to be float up. up a little bit. I agree. Right, about six. Venkman's probably going to be second choice. That, yeah, that, and then Loyal Company comes down a little bit too. I think. Right. Yeah. Exactly. I agree with you. As uh, and we look at the stakes race. One of the stakes races on the Saturday card, the Paraville, with verifying as the favorite from the inside. I'm going to move to race number seven, and then we'll each have one more play uh, following this one. Seventh race is a maiden special eight going a mile and a 16th. We have three-year-olds. These are the boys. And looking at the way this race shapes up, going the mile and a 16th, I think the one or the three dissolved will be forwardly placed, showed speed, and then was sitting close uh, in the second start. We've, we're going to get some speed from Malibu Springs, who showed – uh, tactical speed and has been forwardly placed in all three starts. Ben Franklin is a horse who's stretching out. I would not be shocked to see him a little bit closer. Royal court has shown positional speed. I don't think he's as fast as some of the others, but his better races have come when he's shown speed. So I, that usually makes me think horses will when those have been their best results when they've done it. You've got Mount Craig who wants to be forwardly placed in here. Furious anger showed sprint speed. And now we'll be stretching out. So this horse will be flying uh, for sure. So, I mean, I'm looking at create trouble as another one who's going to be flashing speed in here. Oh yeah. This, this looks like they, there could be a really honest pace. And I, I come back to a horse who is just a stone cold closer on paper, but I think is a little deceiving the two single dot yacht who got some money in the debut, but something went wrong that day slow. And then just didn't really fire and was off. And then when he shows back up, it's sloppy racetrack. Actually doesn't run 
badly either. He comes closing and he finishes fourth after being like 18, 20 lengths back early on in the race and way, way out of it. Then on July the 16th, he's actually runs pretty well. He shows a little more early speed that day and he's kind of stuck down on the inside. He gets shuffled. It was not a bad effort at all. Off for a couple months, shows back up on September 21st. And at Churchill on that, that day, he was not far out of it early, but he was in between horses. He gets shuffled back to eight. He eighth. He ends up losing like three flanks of positioning or so. And he made this big move. It was a pretty solid third. And it was just a weird running line. Like you can see, I think he's going to get the trip in here. I think in this race, he's just going to finally get some pace to run at with all those speed horses that we looked at. He's going to go second start back off the short little break. Um, Hernandez knows this guy well. He sort of figured him out. And I don't think he's as stone cold of a closer as it might have looked like that. No, he's sloppy, improved. Yeah. It, it, it looks just, like he's improved. Tactically, right? Just like mm-hmm. the sloppy track race is the one that throws you off because he was so far back in that race. But if you can take that one out of it, on July 16th, and in particular, September 21st, he had a lot better beginnings than just the running line would look. So I think yeah, there's something more that, that, went, that went weird in that race on July 16th. And you mm-hmm. see how he kind of went way back to he was 10 lengths back and then closed again. Yep. Um, I, di- I didn't watch that replay. He got the shuffle badly. Yeah, inside, he had know? to in order to go back. he drew back the rail that length. day and he was sitting close. And, and like you could see that they wanted to get him a lot closer. And that's the thing I think with him and looking blinkers. at him. Blinkers yeah, he too. blinkers. And I think just like some bad racing luck in a couple of these races, like early something went wrong. Then a sloppy track. It was like, what the heck's going on? I'm on a muddy. And then he started kind of figuring it out. And then after he's been more forward than it seems speed figures he's right there like with this group he fits really well with them so the races he's exiting are strong too and i just think he gets the trip in here single dot yacht it's also fun to say (laughs) as uh, we move barry to uh where are you gonna close things raven run raven run race number nine so i'll actually go before you then so i'm gonna go race number eight and we can both talk about the raven run a little bit so in race number eight I'm just using this really honest, consistent horse and lovely princess. Uh, he's five. She's five to one on the morning line. So her two races at Keeneland were excellent. Mm-hmm. Both of them were wins. And she sat the exact types of trips. I'm hoping that she's going to sit in here. Like she sat third, nicely saved ground from the rail. So her race is on the turf. She's been on the grass nine times. She has three wins, four seconds and two fourths. She's literally never run a bad race. And the two fourths weren't even bad. She was fourth beaten two and three quarters. And she was fourth beaten a length and a quarter in a race where she had legitimate trouble at Kentucky last year in September of 2022. And the other couple races where she didn't hit the board were on the dirt when she finished fourth and in her career debut. I mean, she's got three consecutive seconds. All of them were in stakes. What I like is that it's not like she was the beaten favorite in all those races. One of them she was. She moved early, and she just got nailed. Like, she just got beat by a horse who was a little bit better that day. She's really honest, and I think she's just going to save all the ground at a very fair price of 5-1. to one. So uh, I'm giving her— Keeping the best company out of anybody in here. By far. And just to eliminate her stakes races. The last two non-stakes races were wins at Keeneland going— 
a mile and a, a mile and an eighth, and this is a mile and a sixteenth. You know, just take the turf, take the stakes out, take the stakes out, take the stakes out, take the stakes out, and you've got a Keeneland win and a Keeneland win. Like going <laughs> this type, this type of trip, and I, I think she just sits a really nice trip from the inside. Uh, I like her a lot. Yeah, you got to feel good about this pick. I, I like L- this one too. <laughs> Lovely princess at five to one. Barry, let's talk about the Raven run. It is a grade two. It's a sprint for three-year-old fillies. We will have some of the major players in here. Vava, who's super honest three-year-old filly for Sheree DeVoe. You've got Dazzling Blue, who's very, very quick, comes in from Saratoga. You've got Alva Star, who's also really quick. Uh, But a couple (laughs) quick horses that are right next to each other. Yeah, and and there's two more. Lady Radler and Agent Peace. Yep. So you know where I'm going with this. Yeah, all that all that speed up front. They there's there's horses coming from behind, and and mm-hmm. I ended up on the three non plume who's yep. twenty to one on the morning line. Probably won't get that, but man, this horse runs every time, and will get a good setup. You know what really stuck out to me is that uh, Pratt lands here. Absolutely, people, and he's one of the best judges of pace of anybody in the world, and I By mean far. that in the world. Um, I think he's just going to have this horse in the right spot. You know, people are going to gravitate away from this horse because his numbers are, are on paper low. You know, his buyer number is 77, 73 in his last two races. People are going to overlook that when you have horses like Vaha running nineties. And but, and the thing is about, this is pick kind of piggybacking that point we were making a second ago. Her two first two races were on the synthetic and those figures always come up lighter. Yep. Always. And Absolutely. we've seen Turfway the last few years become a lot stronger. Horses that exit Turfway go elsewhere and do really, really well. In particular, Keeneland. It's been a really competitive track. It's been bigger fields. And the racing quality is really improved. And I like, I, I'm like looking for horses from Turfway a lot of times because of that. Because I know they're going to be a little bit like overlooked. A little bit better value than some of the others in here. Yeah, because that that turfway meet was elevated because of the purse structure. Absolutely, hundred percent. And you're getting better horses and better trainers. That, just better quality you know, overall. Just better quality. Yeah, that that's exactly it. it it's and, a it's a domino effect, right? The purses get raised, and the, everybody wants to send their horses to run for more money. And then the fields get bigger. It's all more competitive. And then when those horses go elsewhere, they face tougher company. They're like a little more seasoned and battle tested. And in this exact case. Because this is a transfer from a synthetic surface, like these horses have lighter and lower figures, but we know that the quality of racing they faced has been really good. Right. And you look at a horse like, you know, in in comparison, you look like at Dazzling Blue. These horses look similar on paper. I know. But that one big number sort of sticks out at you, you know? Right. And that's that's what that's that's like the whole thing we were talking about before. the, The Janet Jackson. What have you done for me lately? Yep. The horse did it, but then regressed on the next mm-hmm. one and got beat a- as a favorite, no less. And you almost um, wonder, like, because the horse kind of couldn't keep up early with Alva Star or wasn't able to get to the lead, I think they're going to even be more aggressive with Jero right. jumping back up. on, right? right? And just be like, hey, it didn't work when we were a length behind. Let's see if we can either get in front or just try to battle, you know? And exactly, and that's going to heat up this pace, and I think it just falls right into Nanda Plume's lap. Yep. You know, and, and and when you run perfect trips, you're going to get an inflated buyer anyway. So even if, like, 
let's just say Nandaplume gets a perfect trip. He's probably going to get a number similar to <laughs> to what his counterpart or you know his uh his opposite dazzling blue yeah. would have got you yeah. know in that victory ride race. So you know that's how those things kind of you, you can see the patterns, and that's what you try to exploit in conjunction with the morning lines. Nom de plume for Barry. And uh, yeah, I think like of the shorter prices, as we were talking about, like Vava is exactly what I had done in the other race. Like she will get a, a nice trip. I, I prefer her of the sm- shorter prices. Like she's super honest. She's a nice sprinter. You can see to her form just makes sense. Mm-hmm. They went a little longer a couple times. Didn't want to go that far. She hooked up with pretty mischievous. Then they cut her back. She's run really well since cutting back. And like, this is where she fits. But if you're looking at horses that are going to get similar type trips, like give me the 21, all, 20 to one all day long. <laughs> right. Over Versus a three to one. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. And that's like no knocks on Vava who should get a great trip. And like, if you're playing a pick four, I wouldn't tell you to leave Vava out. I would tell you to leave out Alva star in here. Mm-hmm. That's how I play in this race. And, to try to beat, and, dazzling, and dazzling blue, blue. both, both of the one dimensional speed type horses who I just, I don't think are going to be wanting to go battle and then have to go longer here at seven furlongs, you know? Right. So and I think Rattler, you could throw in that. Oh dude, there's four of them. There's four in a row. Like we said, I know. six, seven Rattler and ancient peace is not like ancient peace has been going a little longer. So maybe she's not quite as quick, but I don't think she's in this race to come from five or six lengths out of it, you know? Definitely not. <laughs> so, unless uh, like the way she's been training in the mornings, like they're getting speed into her to want her to go. Um, in a fun renewal of the Raven Run, grade two on Saturday. That'll do it for me and Barry in this week in Stable Duel. Thanks so much for hanging out with us. And we'll be back next week. Probably do the same thing again where we talk some Friday and Saturday. And then, man, like the week after that, is that the Breeders' Cup? Oh, man. Wow. Yes, it is. Yeah. So, like, wait. two I'm weeks, excited. we'll be uh, previewing some Breeders' Cup stuff. So, who knows? That week, things will be a little bit different. I got to figure out the schedule because I'm not sure if I'll be able to do all the different guests this year. I might have to have Barry help me out with about a few more races and, and you <laughs> and me do a few and here and there. But my schedule, yeah. might I might be out at the track because um, I'm going to oh, be doing right. some work for DRF. So, I think starting – the next Saturday, uh, the 28th, I will have to be out there uh, on Saturday in the mornings because that'll be like the last work for a lot of horses the week before the Breeders' Cup. So a lot like we'll be out there in the morning, I think, doing some uh, like some any kind of v- footage, filming any kind of works, talk, getting like notes and maybe a few videos and interviews from trainers. And then I think Monday is the draw um, of the Monday, the 20 Monday, the 30th, I believe, is the draw. Um, and then we'll have the fields out there. So I'm probably going to be out there in the morning early every day that week, I, I think. Nice. Um, and then just helping getting footage and then helping edit some stuff. So schedule will still be up in flux, but I will definitely have to uh, get Barry to help me out with at least a few oh, of the absolutely. Breeders' Cup races at some point in the week there. My friend, uh, tell everybody else what you're going on. We got uh, going in circles, yep. big Mondays with, uh, with Chuck. Yep, every Monday, usually the episode comes out later on monday night into tuesday but we definitely tweeted out or x posted out is that how you say that now mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> but uh yeah we're, we're starting to do some things there we get a new website coming up uh we're gonna you know do some more things get more involved if you will and then uh you know we're we're involved a little bit with uh, the game of silk stuff and so 
there's a lot going on, especially heading into the new year. So it should be fun. Okay, with Halloween coming up, I'm doing all my Halloween movie watches right now while I'm like putting stuff in the background because I'm such a nerd. You know, I'll like make a list of like all the movies I want to watch throughout the month, and I'll like figure out where they are and what streaming services and all over. So give me give me something like either a scary movie or something that's on that's one of your favorites, uh, like scary Halloween, anything like that. Oh, uh, Nightmare Before Christmas, gotta be right, it's absolutely my favorite. And that's- what's nice about that is that you can watch it right before Halloween. And then again, right before Christmas, boom, you can get it twice. You know, it's <laughs> one of the true. few, it's one of the few that you can use for Swiss Halloween Army and for movie. Christmas, you know? <laughs> so it's amazing. You basically got from October 30, like right around now, all the way till Christmas time. And right after to use, uh, the night Adam's family too. Those Adam's family is great. great. Those are fun. They're a blast. I, I just watched those two. And that, that's, what's cool nowadays with the services. They've all got the like, uh, Halloween section where you can oh, click yeah. on everything. Peacock, if you're into scary movies, Peacock has like a lot of the old scary like franchises. Um, one of my favorites is because if they're funny and the scream ones are funny, you know. Oh, yeah, they're, they're just a blast because they're just like cartoony. fun, yeah. yeah, and they're silly. So, uh, happy Halloween in a few weeks to everyone. I like the, the holiday season, and my son's getting a little older now, so he kind of oh, can so understand. He's ready. Yeah, you know, like he's starting to understand the stuff. We're we've got some homework tonight, we got to decorate. Not a real pumpkin, but just a, on a card, like a piece of paper pumpkin. He's got to draw and, and go all over it. And then we'll, we'll do our pumpkin carving in the next few days. I love to make the seeds, layer them up with salt. One of my favorite things. So uh, I'm getting in Halloween mode. I hope all of you guys have a fantastic weekend out there. Barry, my friend, thanks so much for helping me out again this week. And as uh, we say goodbye, we encourage all of you to download that Stable Duel app to play in the Stable Duel games this weekend. And we say hello to Joey Cleveland. Take it away, buddy. Let's talk some Saturday racing at Santa Anita. DRF has you covered with past performances, clocker reports, picks, everything you need to succeed at Santa Anita every racing day. A couple big racing days in a few weeks at Santa Anita with the Breeders' Cup coming to town, and we will have tons of coverage for you. DRF has the Breeders' Cup shop on DRF.com. They have the Breeders' Cup section of DRF where they give you everything you need to know right now. So, Santa Anita has a big few weeks ahead. Let's make some money on Saturday. Let's talk about the pick six sequence that starts in race number four and heads through race number nine. So race number four, we will go mile on the dirt here. This is a race that I just did not love. I got to be honest of the sequence here. This one just felt like very formful because I don't see a whole lot of early speed. I think that might be the six good juju who's going to be your two to one favorite. I think they're going to get aggressive with this one. And the others that I would include would be Zimba warrior. Who's not a really fun play at five to two. And then the one set Sento, who's not a really fun play at five to two. So just nothing really outside the box to kick off that pick six sequence. So um, kind of captain obvious to start for me, I would lean towards the six and maybe just single right off the bat. 
Now in the fifth race, I think there are a couple fun uh, prospects in here. Six and a half furlongs on the turf course. I'm going to look at the number seven, City of Angels. And I don't want the world to see me because I don't think that they'd understand. Little Nick Cage, little Meg Ryan, little Iris, City of Angels, trying grass for the first time. This dam was a four-time winner on the turf, and she has produced another winning turf sibling. So Dan was a winner on the turf, has a sibling that was a winner on the turf, and now she's going to try the grass. And honestly, she was pretty good on September 3rd. She was right with the leading group. She was the second fastest early, but of six horses that all went for the early lead, she kind of backed up and she shuffled back, and all of a sudden she's three lengths off. She angles outside widest of all, and she's out in the sixth path. And she's on her wrong lead, but she's still trying really hard. I thought it was a very good effort from City of Angels, who will now try the grass. So I think she's a big player in here. The two in T-Base goes out for a barn who's so much better with second-timers than with first-timers. So the fact that she that this horse showed some ability in his debut means that he'll likely improve and be very tough in here. The others would be the Six Hill 16, who's a first-time starter. You know, the Miller Barn hasn't been very good with first-time starters recently. I think they're one for their last 44. But all three of this guy's siblings won on the grass. He's a half to a horse name and Eddie Surprise. And, you know, there's plenty of grass in here. Eddie Surprise is a five-time turf winner. I'm going to go seven two six five. if you were going a little bit deeper. And I'd give up forever to touch you. Because I know that you... Sorry, now I'm going to be uh, singing Goo Goo Dolls for weeks. Let's get to race number six. We're going to go 20,000 or 35,000 non-winners of three claimers going a mile on the dirt in here. I like the six a little bit low expectations. This is a horse who wheels back quickly. Just raced last week on the turf. And he had some trouble that day. He was a step slow. He was three wide going into the turn. Then he ended up settling about eight lengths off early. They were flying early on. He started to move, but he got caught in between and steadied. He came on again, but it, it just sort of his best run had dulled. So keep in mind, you've got a slow start. You go wide into the turn when you don't really need to be that wide. Then you get caught in between horses in a strung out field when you didn't need to be caught in between horses. I just didn't think it was the best trip, but this horse has more tactical speed than he showed. And he's fine on the dirt. His last three dirt races just came against really tough company. He was in stakes races in two of them, and the other was his first start in a few months where he was slow and, and just didn't really get into the race. Low expectations. Along with the four bright leaf, I feel like this is the horse to beat. Second off the eight-month break, a horse comes out of a productive race where we saw two next out winners. He will stretch out now and should just be a little closer early on. And then you've got the three, Park City, who's in nice form off the back-to-back -back victories. Let's move to race number seven. This one's going a mile on the turf course. Calbred made in special weights in here. I like the five light dragon. In his debut, he faced open company. And this is a Calbred race. So he faced open breads. I thought he ran really well. He had a fine start. He was inside. He got kind of shuffled all the way back to last. Six lengths off. And he had to angle all the way around. He got into his best stride late, chasing a wire-to-wire -wire winner. The runner-up came back to win next start out at a maiden special weight. 
And his lone sibling only tried turf once The dam was a two-time winner on the grass He just checks a ton of the boxes in here for me The seven long jacket Faced open company Faced better Now drops in class And goes out for a barn Who's been a lot better with second-timers Than with first-time starters recently And then you've got So five-seven would be my top tier The six-high king Doesn't need to improve a whole lot To be really competitive in this race He was solid in that debut and he's bred beautifully for the grass. We also have the two, who's a player, just a guess. He had legitimate trouble. He faced a really tough group in that debut. And he he still drowns around towards the inside. He does get off the rail a little bit. I went five seven two six in race number seven at Santa Anita. As we move to the eighth race, this is the Anokia. My angle here is I'm playing against Dua. I just don't think this was the plan for Dua all along. This is a filly that they probably wanted to get into the Breeders' Cup. And she raced two weeks ago in the Chandelier. And now she wheels back quickly and cuts back. I'm just going to take a swing against her. And, I mean, for example, she doesn't even tower over these on speed figures. Like, the best race in this field has come from Becky's Dream in her debut when she earned a, a 76 buyer. So I'm chucking the three out. I'm going to use the one Sandy bottom that debut race was very good. Like was part of a battle she was down on the inside and she pushed through. So that way she didn't get shuffled. And then she just put the other horses away and drew off. It was really impressive. She might get that same kind of trip in here too. The four is the horse who I like the most though. Tambo. This Philly went long on the grass. She was really trying hard. She only lost to three. Turf distance horses that just might be better suited for that trip. Now she cuts back. I think she's going to sit off the pace in here and have some some bottom to her, have some finish. I'm using four, one, and five in race number eight. Let's close out the Santa Anita card on Saturday, October the 21st. I thought this was a tough maiden special weight for two-year-olds. You have three Bob Baffert runners, and any one of them could be very live. I think I prefer British Isles of them. British Isles Dam was a Debut winner, horse named Purely Hot, who was very good, a 12-time winner, grade three winner, a really solid sprinter who earned $420,000 plus. So I like the six, like the 11 Colorado Cruiser. He was chasing in his debut, kind of a half step slow, and then he was right up to press, and the horse who was on the lead just kept going. And that was Tahone Pass, who has a little, who had some, who had a, a, a race of experience under his belt compared to Colorado Cruiser, who had not. EJ won the cup fits very well Both races he's been in have been strong um, Slider And Tahone Pass were in there So keep in mind EJ won the cup out finished Tahone Pass And then Tahone Pass came back And beat Colorado Cruiser So you gotta feel like EJ won the cup Is a major major player in here It's a fun race to close things out I'll use 6, 11 And 10 all over The 5 tracker is a live first time starter Gomo was a graded stakes winner, actually a grade one winner, and won the Alcibiades. If you wanted to go a little, you know, that's not even talking about the other two Bob Baffords, the one and the three, who would not shock whatsoever. It's just so hard when you have three horses like this from Baffert and you just don't know which one is going to get the better trip, which one's going to be the speedier one. We can watch the works and look at the pedigree, but a lot of time it's a little different than what it plays out here when you have the multiple horses like this. I'm going to use 6, 11, 10, 5. You want to go deeper, I would maybe look at 3, 1, and the 8 
Dave Medici, whose dam was multiple stakes placed and all six siblings won. It's a difficult race to close out the Saturday card at Santa Anita. Remember, anytime you're doing your handicapping, head all over to DRF.com for past performances, clocker reports, and DRF picks every day in the Santa Anita Classic Meet. Good luck. We finish up this episode with Ahsoka, the season finale. Tim Kelly joins us to talk about everything that happened in season one of Ahsoka. We are back to put the finishing touches on season one of Ahsoka. We're going to talk about episode eight and how season one of Ahsoka finished up on Disney+. Plus. Gino Bocola here along with Tim Kelly. We're going to talk about the Jedi, the Witch, and the Warlord a play on the Chronicles of Narnia. Tim, uh, what are some of your thoughts about how we finished up with uh, episode mm. eight, season one of Ahsoka? Uh, I'd say it's uh, the tale of two feelings for me. Uh, I had some genuine, but I, albeit somewhat uh, mild enjoyment uh, throughout the series. I, I, I liked it. I thought uh, there was some really good stuff going on there, a lot of promising things, um, technically well executed. Uh, but overall, just... You know, this storm cloud of of disappointment kind of hung over the whole thing because it just didn't really feel like it went anywhere. It felt like it was set up for more things. It felt like there there was um, trying to relay a little bit of backstory here and there. Uh, but there wasn't enough characterization on screen with what we were seeing um, too much throughout the series. Too much yeah. stuff. Look like. A couple basic things like I, I you hit it and I and I feel in real agreement with you. It wasn't like when we were watching shows that the, the graphics or the CG is bad or mm-hmm. it wasn't like it didn't feel like the quality of the show wasn't Star Wars or a movie. It almost felt like we got eight episodes when we needed 12. You know, mm-hmm. I, I think I heard that. I heard I, that somewhere. We're like, I take or, it the other way. I take four. Well, see, see, that, that's the other. Because th- and I think that was the key is that it didn't really know the the pacing was mm-hmm. off uh, of the show. Yeah. Like the first few episodes felt like we were going to get this slow burn kind of a show mm-hmm. where it was right around the middle where we started feeling the characters together. Mm-hmm. And then all of a yeah. sudden when Ezra comes in, we didn't really get it. We didn't really get much with him. Like we didn't build yeah. his story really at all. Um and I think you were hitting on a point that I made a big note on. To me, it felt like there were a lot of important conversations that happened off screen. Yeah, like, wh- yeah. Why did we see them? Not like, even what? just conversations, but, you know, backstory, some interesting things. You know, I would love to see flashbacks, you know, flashbacks of like the stuff that we heard about with Ahsoka and Sabine and Ahsoka becoming, um, you know, wary of Sabine and worried that she's, you know, going to the dark side of the force. All that was, was just kind one of look. told to us. One look. And yeah, I didn't feel that throughout the series. It was kind of explained to us and then ah. gave it a little bit of context. But yeah, it wasn't a journey for us. I agree. And, and that's what was, it just sort of felt for a while like they didn't necessarily know who mm-hmm. the show was for, what they were doing, because there are these characters that have been introduced in some animated shows. Um, they mm-hmm. kind of reintroduced them, but they were playing on the fact that a lot of us knew who these characters were. And that was what was difficult. Mm-hmm. Like you didn't just reintroduce yeah. people. You kind of went half, half-assed with it to be, to be fair. Right. Like, 
Yeah, um, I I know what you mean, and and with that in mind, I I feel like I wonder if Filoni and, and the and the writers and the directors behind this, uh, they didn't want to lean too much into that because we've heard in other properties and other IP that are out there, like uh, for instance, uh, Spider Man. When Spider Man's been rebooted and told multiple times, uh, by the time the MCU Spider Man came out, there was this kind of um push for hey let's not do the origin story again we don't need to see that we already understand how spider-man became spider-man same thing with batman and the matt reeves batman there's really no origin story uh there and that was kind of um you know the backstory with with a famous ip we we assume that you know it and then you know this is star wars so it's like maybe the writers are like yeah everybody knows the backstory of, of these characters but Reality check, no, we didn't see that shit. <laughs> I didn't watch it, I'm sorry. A lot of the fans of Star Wars haven't seen that. Uh, and this is a new show. It has to stand on its own in its own regard. So yeah, maybe they were, were trying to avoid that pitfall of you know rehashing old things, but I think they maybe took that too far. They didn't give us enough. They didn't tell us enough about what, what these character, who these characters are, what they want. Uh, and why you know they're important to be following right now. They gave us these vignettes and little bits of backstory within the dialogue, but it didn't coalesce into something that really had me invested as a viewer. Even Thrawn, um, I I don't think he was presented in a bad way. I just don't think he no. was presented good in a good enough way. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there there were. A, I actually enjoyed in this episode how sort of cold he was and just willing mm-hmm. to sacrifice his own people to get away. I thought that was a cool part of just making him seem like this guy who is, doesn't really have any feeling for any individual person all about the empire. But I think they could have given us some more backstory or flashbacks of him and made him look even more chilling. Like we said, I think we pointed out, could there have been like that breaking bad moment with Gus Fring, (laughs) you know, where you saw him get his hands a little dirty. It, Oh, well, it how just about, felt how Breaking Bad. How about Walt? Let's look at Walt for Breaking Bad as an example, right? Like Walt is an impressive person because in Breaking Bad, we've seen him do some impressive things. Like I can think of off the top of my head these moments where he's like MacGyvered things or or, or pulled out uh, a crazy uh, a move at the last minute. Like think about he he threw that um, compound on the wall and blew up uh, Suko. Uh, I might be getting into Tuco's. Uh, uh, apartment complex. Yeah. He did that thing with the magnet. He he's shown himself to be super clever, and they and the the story has given us as viewers the opportunity to see him in in action and do all these things. But Thrawn, what they give us for like, hey, look at this brilliant tactician. It's basically him. After he fails, he goes perfect. All part of my plan. Uh, and that that doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. There's nothing that we're really seeing him do as a tactician well, and, that actually impresses us. I know, we're and we don't to believe see, that he planned it all along. Yeah, we don't. We don't even see that that may have been part of his plan. If it was, give right. us a little moment of him. Okay, yeah. hey, like plotting it out and saying this is what's going to happen. We're going to let them feel like they right. have a little bit of success. We're going to give them a sense of false hope, false hope, and then we're going to dash right. them like. None of that. It's just very, I, I it was, it's like a, a safe, I don't know if safe is a weird word, but it was just like mm-hmm. a vanilla way of doing a lot of this. I, I yeah. you know, um, I just felt like everything was like, okay, well, that was okay. And, and, yeah. and that was, it's almost in a way, like if I'm grading something or if I'm giving it like a rating, 
I wouldn't mm-hmm. have given this a, a terrible rating. But what's funny right. is I, I'm at the point where, like, with some of these things, I almost would rather give it – I would almost have rather have something, like, just completely miss mm-hmm. than be, like, so safe, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Like, it was almost like they didn't even really try to do much here. Yeah. Um, for, like, I mean, they, you, they had you, zombies, right? They had yeah. zombie stormtroopers for the first time ever, yeah, and we didn't been, see one arm get cut off. Like, I, this is I, I know that could have been so <laughs> cool visually. Um, we we also, in just a really basic sense, mm-hmm. we basically all we did was have Ezra trade places with Ahsoka oh, and Sabine. Yep, that's just it. swap the pieces on the board. That's all that happened. The, the good guys and the bad guys switch places. And that's that. And I mean, that, that's fine sometimes if you have this great, you know, if there's great pacing and uh, motivation for your characters and it's it's a, it's a ride for the audience. Uh, think of like Mad Max Fury Road, one of the greatest action movies ever made. Uh, that's a story, uh, you know, if you really break it down, but to the plot, it's of, you know, characters going from point A to point B, then from point B back to point A again. Uh, it's, it's they're driving back and forth and it's just a, a basically a, a car chase the whole time. But there's more going on than that. There's there's characters. There's there's a, a whole civilization that you kind of uh, get sucked into and are curious about that they don't have to really you know, spoon feed you any of the details of. You're just fascinated by what's going on and you, you can see little glimpses of it uh, and you want to know more. Uh, in this case, we're being kind of told what's happening. We're told. We're shown these rituals and things like that, but it just feels uh, kind of empty and kind of forced, kind of um, just there to take up space. Some of, yeah, and and we're pointing out critiques, and I think to start, especially when you talk about the the final episode of a season, that's that's got to be one of the things that you you start with. Um, Mm -hmm. Like, visually, it felt like Star Wars in the middle of the season. There were a couple mm-hmm. episodes that were were like wow, and mm-hmm. there still is. It, I I don't feel like sometimes when we go into or we come out of an MCU movie, it's like I feel a little bit different. I don't know. It's like I feel mm-hmm. defeated almost. I don't feel <laughs> quite defeated about where we are with these characters moving forward. No. Like I still think we can do more and we can yeah. we can get better. It just frustrates me. That and it's sort of a little bit like you said, disappointing was the right word because mm-hmm. this wasn't an F, but it was like just a C ish, C my right. like like right in the middle where it's like, damn, like we yeah. really did have some stuff in there that could have been better, and we felt like we were getting there. Like I don't feel as frustrated as I was when we talked at the end of Secret Invasion, where we were like, this just no. wasn't good, you know? This yeah, was, there just wasn't anything to enjoy this, about that. Basically, yeah, th- this was different in that it was just sort of up down, and then when we got to the yeah. point where, like, the last two, it didn't feel like we moved a whole lot, and then our character yeah. motivations were just bizarre a lot of the times mm-hmm. with with these characters like Sabine and Ezra that were supposed to be either in love with each other or. Mm-hmm. Or not, brother, sister, even uh, like it's very close. Whatever it is, th- very close. Um, another main gripe that I had heard. Um, so mm-hmm. Sabine doesn't really use the force at all mm-hmm. the entire time. You know that she's training her prior training with Ahsoka. The whole eight episodes that were in here, we don't even yeah. see her move anything with the force. No, she tries. She tries. Yeah, no, but then she's able to use the force in a desperate moment to 
mm-hmm. get a lightsaber to move towards her, and she's able to kill a zombie with it. It was actually a cool little moment where yeah. she gets it and she busts it open and it goes right through that zombie's head. Where mm-hmm. we had a couple like kind of crazy kills, I would say. Yeah. This episode. Like Ahsoka sliced. One one of them in half that Ezra kind of throws at her, which was a really cool. That was cool, yeah. Like it was awesome. But then out of nowhere, all of a sudden, Sabine is freaking Yoda. Like (laughs) he's able to use the Force to just fly Ezra. Like this, yeah. Like Ezra can Force jump all the way onto Thrawn's ship from this huge distance. Like Mm -hmm. I don't know. Like that that kind of we didn't see her progression enough we we've seen luke and ray and everybody have to go on these massive training expeditions and we see the mm-hmm. pro the progress of it and then all of a sudden we see her just go from zero to 100 yeah I, at first you know i i was a little eye-rolly at that that moment uh but you know what we all called that way back when that we knew that that was the inevitable and, um result here but I, I do think that there is some logic that we can just devil's advocate here there's some logic we can apply uh one thing that i thought was really interesting and I, you know i'd heard this somewhere so i can't take credit for it but maybe peridia is kind of the x factor here maybe that's and, the catalyst they're yes. on a place that might be more connected to the force maybe there's heavy amount of midichlorians there that can you know infuse with you know new people that spend more time there so we have that whole you know aspect of, of things that could have been the 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 game changer in that scenario and then also we have you know very obvious on the the surface of the plot her her feelings for Ezra. I like uh, that part too. Very powerful. So the that emotion. inspired her to you know take her over the top and 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 you know Would bust you... through that you know mental block. I, I can I, with those Me two too. things. I go. That's enough logic, and I'm okay can, with it. I can get there with that too because you know what? That's exactly what's always been um, a problem or <laughs> an issue that that some of the Jedi have with training people. It's that. Mm-hmm. It's that their emotions can lead them to a side of the force and strength. That's what we even right. hear about Sabine, right? The emotions right. can can have this power over you that that you can unlock these parts of the force. And we Good we point. can actually see that with Sabine being around Ezra. You know, it sounds silly. It's something that we hear of with like now that you're a parent, right? Mm-hmm. This mom mm-hmm. strength that we hear of like these right. times where like a mom lifts a car up half of her, you know, to get her kid out from under or things like that. You you almost have that yeah. what you're willing or what you're capable of doing in a moment of need. Um, the old, the real thing that I wish we could have seen more of, and maybe this is just because I'm an FPJ guy myself is I, I need, mm-hmm. I would have loved a little Freddie cameo somehow with, with Kanan oh, June because, uh, because yeah, Kanan, yeah, yeah. The Kanan and Ezra did this move in Rebels all the time. This force jump push move. That, and that's sort oh. of why it was like a thing. Like Ezra would run and jump and Kanan would toss him places. And like that was their move mm-hmm. all the time. So this was so a this, real callback yeah. to something that they would do. Ezra would do over and over where they would be stuck. They wouldn't be able to get in something. And then Ezra would say, Let me, let's do it. And he would run and Freddy, you yeah. know, Freddy's character would throw him and like, place him on this um like on a ship or get him in this really tight area and Mm -hmm. it just would have been cool to see a flashback of that or in some way to let us know that this was something that had been done repeatedly um i think as we kind of hit 
more overall it with the episode even than we will be or with the series even than we will be is like specific through this episode i th- my i think my biggest gripes were with two characters um e- mm-hmm. I, I guess what i said about thrawn but he still wasn't bad could thrawn have been mm-hmm. scarier sure i think his look mm-hmm. was good i think his voice was good i think yeah. a lot of how the they presence. made yeah the yeah. presence was good it still it wasn't bad it wasn't like this terrible villain that's eye rolly um, no. Ahsoka, we were introduced to in other stuff. We kind of know Ahsoka mm-hmm. well. I think Ahsoka's sort of coming full circle. I like what happened with her with Anakin, sort of learning. I even like like that she failed. So now she's kind of come full circle. Lo- Yoda talked about failure. For me, it was Sabine and Ezra, the two characters that frustrated me the most. I think in watching this ser- uh, this this season because. Mm. There's so much more with Ezra, and Ezra can be right. such a great character. I think the performance of Ezra was good. Yeah, I think Ezra just wasn't given anything to do. Like there was no writing for yeah. him. Um, I, I, he, yeah, they, they, they even had him like you know sitting bitch on you know, exactly. when they were riding on the. Those, like, I know. They just had him take a back seat to everything. He was, and I, I, I feel like that's done in, in some ways in in service to representation and and things like that. I know this this series got. Um, I, I forget the name of it, but some award about, you know, female representation in, in media. Uh, and that's basically meeting the Bechtel test, the Bechtel, uh, I, I can't even pronounce that, the Bechtel test, uh, which is supposed to be a satire anyway. But um, they're taking that very seriously and giving out awards for this sort of thing uh, now. So it, I, I think there was room for him to do a little bit more, but maybe they're just afraid to, like, have a man sort of usurped the, the role, the, the role of a woman, you know, in, in the, in the writing or something or being accused of that that's in the some kind way of thing where it's like, if that's, if that's having a, there's a conversation that's being had about mm-hmm. that and that kind of thing's being had. It's like, don't, don't do this show or don't do these <laughs> kinds of stuff. Like you can, there are stories out there to be told like that all over. You know what I mean? You don't need to yeah. shoehorn in where it, it just doesn't make as much sense. Like, we need yeah. it. We need it. We as characters watching this show needed to know more about Ezra this year. If yeah. you haven't seen Rebels, Absolutely. you just had to know more about him than like like this mythical guy who was talked about like he did something. And then we saw him and he was like this kind of lovable Aladdin character that just <laughs> didn't have a worry. It's like, what? It didn't, yeah. I don't know. It didn't, it just didn't register with me. It didn't connect. It didn't feel real, you know? Yeah, and then like you give him these moments, you know, where at the at the end uh, he's reunited with with Hera, and it's this big uh, dramatic thing that you're supposed to feel something for. But I I, I felt kind of empty because I was like, well, how do these characters relate to each other? I had to look into it and find out that she was kind of a surrogate mother for him. Um, no, and I've and, watched yeah, Rebels, I and that. I I watched Rebels, and I like was like, oh, cool, but. You didn't feel it enough at all in live action. We didn't get – why couldn't there be one episode – like, we didn't have any moments mm-hmm. where we were from Ezra's perspective, did we? Like, any? Uh, I don't think so, no. You know, I don't think they cared at all about Ezra's perspective. Right? You're right. And, like, yeah. we, couldn't we have gotten – like, when I, – I, you know, I don't always think this mm-hmm. is a positive thing to do where you start playing writer. But, like, when we're mm-hmm. critiquing these shows and we're talking about them, it's like we couldn't have had – even the one scene like where we mm-hmm. got introduced to Ahsoka in the Mandalorian, you know, where it's like where right. it was just Ezra on the on the planet watching Ezra for a minute have to get out of some sticky situation or watching mm-hmm. Ezra think back 
just like you said, watching Ezra, think back, have a flashback where it was him, Ahsoka, Mm -hmm. Sabine, Hera, all together, the crew running a mission. You know what I mean? Just like Mm -hmm. a minute of of all of them together, a little bit younger. So you see them, oh no, what are you doing? Hera, like Mm -hmm. just some some like crazy moment that we see in live action. It didn't need to be a a whole episode. It could have been 60 seconds of a flashback. Yeah, I would I would have loved the flashback of Ezra's escape uh, from Thrawn. And there we go. You know, him the sacrifice they, they, he made, like the yeah, just the marooned. end of Rebels, right? What yeah. happens at the end, that last moment where you see him make the ultimate sacrifice? So we know absolutely. absolutely. Even redo some stuff that was in animation, and Why like not? I, would lo- I, I bet the fans would go nuts for that. Absolutely, uh, I would love to see it. And and to be fair. To be fair, from Leonard Kenya, to be fair, <laughs> anytime and almost all of the the recreations they've done over the last couple mm-hmm. of series, all of the all of the feedback has been really positive about like the look mm-hmm. and the feel and everything, you know, from right. from Thrawn to Ahsoka to the way hair, like almost everything mm-hmm. has been really, really positive, even in the Obi-Wan series. Yeah. And like the, the flashbacks in this series even yeah. were pretty solid early on. Uh, the, young, young Ahsoka, Ahsoka. during the yeah. Clone Wars, yeah, those Every, were pretty well done. It's almost like they took it so seriously to make sure that they that those were good, that they were gonna really, really do it. And mm-hmm. yeah, just a just a bummer because it it could have been much, much more in this series. And overall, yeah. like, I, and I don't even mind. Like, I it doesn't bother me at all that we mm-hmm. like end on a cliffhanger. That doesn't bother me at all. No. Like with no. more to go. None whatsoever. Like season if there's going to be multiple seasons of stuff and we know this mm-hmm. is going to lead into like a Thrawn movie and other stuff, that, there's a story to be told and the story can't always wrap up cleanly in every mm-hmm. in everything. I feel so like that's not even a gripe for me. It was more of just the way everything was presented to us than yeah. than like where we're left off with right now. I agree. I think it's uh, the big problem with this series is how much they left on the table. They they just saved way too much for for later, uh, and and assumed that we already got a, a good meal, you know, like like from uh, from Clone Wars and from Rebels, and that we were that we understood all that backstory, and that uh, what we were getting in this series would feel you know rich. Uh, because of that, you know, depth of uh, our backstory that we experienced through Rebels and Clone Wars. But for those of us that didn't have that, it was lacking in substance and richness. And you know, all these moments, uh, so many of them fell flat. Uh, and they could have been more. And it, 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 that if they had just given us something to experience with these characters to help us relate to the context a little bit more, to help us relate to their characters, their desires, uh, their motivations, all that stuff. Uh, it just felt a little bit empty. Yeah. Let's hit on a couple key points throughout the episode. Uh, the episode eight, the Jedi, the witch, and the wardrobe. So we pick up here as they're completing this cargo transfer to get off Perdia. Grand Admiral Thrawn <laughs> is trying to get back to the galaxy that we know. And unfortunately, the cargo transfer is taking a little bit longer than initially thought. So they're going to need to buy a little bit more time. He sends out a couple fighters as mm-hmm. Ahsoka and Ezra and the Jedi get closer and closer to him. So, uh, you know, we see that our 
our good guys are making their way closer and closer. Uh, but mainly what <laughs> we see here, slowly, right? Yeah. Slowly. Yeah. Uh, mainly Convoy. what we see here is Morgan Elsbeth becoming uh, a mother mm-hmm. of Dathomir. She there's yeah. this sort of ritual ceremony that happens Again. where. <laughs> Again with the ritual ceremonies, like it's right? just this, the, half the series is a ritual ceremony that we kind of have no context to. That we're of what, to of what it is, draw dropping over. I know. Yeah, and and there are visuals that are cool, right? Yeah, there are definitely. Like she gets the witches come up to her, and they basically it's almost like they put fire in her face, and and mm-hmm. there's magic, and it, it doesn't look terrible or anything. It's just no. we don't really know what it's supposed to mean. And, exactly. It uh, just, apparently, this is a, a thing that like that was ex- introduced in Clone Wars. That sword, uh, I believe, existed, and it was some kind of a Night Sister thing, a Dathomir. Uh, the Gift so of sick. Shadows is the name of yeah. the sword. So she's now one of the witches. She's basically um, has even more powers as Thrawn continues to prep his army for battle. Here, he basically tells her, you know, hey. You know, we're going to need a little bit more time. And she's just completely willing to sacrifice herself. Like this is another yeah. thing where it's like, what is her allegiance to Thrawn? She it, this yeah. was a little bit off for me. Uh, and then even even after mm-hmm. Thrawn asks her to pre- pledge her allegiance and she's willing to make the sacrifice of herself yeah. and some of the other men. And Thrawn leaves her and he says, you know, long live the Empire or for the Empire. Yeah. And as she, as he walks away, she says, for Dathomir, almost making you think like she's going to screw him over or something. And then I took it it the other way. I took it that that, uh, Thrawn uh, and his goals are in alignment with whatever her goals are for Dathomir. So she was like, all right, I'll sacrifice myself. You think it's for, for you and the Empire. But I know that it's really for my goals, you know, for the betterment of my homeland, my home world, Dathomir. Uh, So that's how I took that. And then also I was like, all right, is she sacrificing herself? Yes, that's part of it. But she's also probably going into it thinking, you know, I'm going to whoop Ahsoka's ass. I'm going to get like, I got the sword now. I got the gift of shadows. Uh, I want to, this is round two. She took my spear. I'm going to take her life. So I'm like, okay, this all kind of makes sense to me. I could see her motivation there. It didn't seem like she was just throwing away her life, you know, for Thrawn or the Empire. We check in with our our good guys as Ezra's building a lightsaber. Um, again, a, a little a, a little disconnect here because we've been led to believe that finding a Kyber crystal is this massive deal in order to be able to build a lightsaber. Or, or it's almost been like these Kyber mm-hmm. crystals find you as a Jedi. Right. You know, right. and now it's like, oh, Ezra can just build a lightsaber yeah. anytime. Cheapens um, it a little bit. Yeah, you got to assume that like they had an extra one that was specific to her. I, I don't know. Like there has to Yang's be some kind just of got a that explains it, right? And, and it, it is who Yang. So he's yeah. got a lot of history. So I, I, it makes a little bit of sense. But yeah, there's a, that's another stretch. And uh, people argue that this series has kind of cheapened some of the, the lore or or um, contradicted some of the, you know, the, the lore that we, we, you know, been established, you know, Lucas's Star Wars and even Clone Wars stuff beforehand. But yeah, I think that there's still a possibility that there's like a logical explanation for that. that we, I'll, yeah. I'll give it a and that's, <laughs> and that again is like, I wish we didn't have to do as much of that because you're right. Like some yeah. of these things could have been <laughs> like very easily, like 
he could have said Hu Yang could have said something like, "Well, yeah, I know, I know where they, I know where the kyber crystals are." You know, like there could have been just been like a, yeah. "Well, yeah, I have a source of it," or so, they're they're just something that yeah. made it for us go, "Oh yeah, that that's all," and not well, even have to really to think about it. Because um, he had the hilt, right? He had the piece to the hilt. So yep. at the same time, he could have just said, given him both pieces or something like that. So, like, like um, perhaps uh, Ezra could have been building the lightsaber, you know, all the pieces except for the kyber crystal and that one piece. And then he was, and then he could have said to Hu Yang, "I'm only missing these two pieces." And Hu Yang, you know, could have been like, "Well, I, you're you're in luck." And yeah, that's a, a little bit of a stretch too. But at least it's you know, at least there's an explanation there. <laughs> at least we kind of understand why it's why it's happening. Hu Yang tells Ezra and Sabine that, you know, he was the one that taught a lot of the, the younglings in particular. He taught Kanan, who was mm-hmm. Ezra's master. Yeah. So a lot of what Ezra has learned probably came directly from Hu Yang uh, in, in mm-hmm. some way, shapes or form through training, through building the lightsaber. Um, Ezra talks to Hu Yang a little bit and he asks what happened between Ahsoka and Sabine. Ahsoka was afraid that Sabine was training as a Jedi for the wrong reasons after what happened on Mandalore. What happened, Ezra asks. Well, the Empire purged the entire surface of the planet, killing hundreds of thousands. Um, And at that time, uh, he asked her family. Yep, they were all lost. Ahsoka felt that if Sabine unlocked her potential, she would become dangerous. Okay, this makes sense to me, actually, right? This is like Mm -hmm. something that we could have, I thought, maybe even leaned on a little bit more in the series. Right, should like, be the show. Right, this is exactly what you're 100% right. Like, why are yeah. we not leaning into the fact more of that? It's not that Sabine isn't talented with the Force, or mm-hmm. it's not that Sabine isn't well-trained or she couldn't pick it up. It's that the opposite. They were scared that she was going to pick it up too quickly. Yeah. And I, that just is such a better way of presenting yeah. it. I, so, Without that piece of dialogue and, and backstory, I had zero context or, or zero aspect of that subtext throughout the whole series prior to that like there there was no time in the series before that was explained to me that i thought that that dynamic was at play with the, those two characters uh that's a big missing element i, I don't know i just think that it's uh, very and why don't and again like i feel like almost always these conversations end up being had between the master and the apprentice. At one point, the right. master will tell them, yeah. Hey, look, we were scared because you were almost too powerful for your own good, right? You have these emotions. Right. Like, you, th- we think we're worried that you could be led to the dark side. You tell them, you tell right. them that to let them know not to. You don't just completely right. hide it from them. Um, it, like, even you're so when, it's universal. That's a universal dynamic with, yeah. with the Padawan and Master that you and, mentioned. And just, it, so, yeah, in life, right. it's like I teach my son, you teach your son, you want him to be good, not bad. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like, I don't know why that had to be something that was so hidden. Um, don't like you're especially something you have lost. Like, hey, we have to be able to kind of in a sad way move past it, get over it, right? Not necessarily dwell on all of the things that have happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have this conversation outside the ship with Ahsoka and Sabine, um, and it just wasn't enough for me that between mm-hmm. the two of them here. Like, they have this conversation, and it's fine. Sabine, uh, Ahsoka says, you know, um, she basically tells Sabine, your gamble paid off, right? We may not have ever seen him if it wasn't for you. 
I just didn't feel the emotion here Either one way or the other Like between the yeah. two of them She starts talking about her master And how and, um, he always stood by me Even when no one else did That's why no mm-hmm. matter what happens next I'm going to be there for you I just mm-hmm. And then we just kind of yachted into like them joking <laughs> it, yeah, yeah It went right to exactly. that To like have you kept up with your training And she made a Yoda joke I try well I do I do you know, right, right. And <laughs> there is no try. And and like that was cool. It was like a chuckle, but it yeah. was like, damn, that was a moment that felt like we were getting to this mm-hmm. really emotional place. And then we kind of just breeze, breeze sort of past it and yeah. went talking about lightsabers again. Um, I just think these conversations were good. This was some of the stuff we really were enjoying in those two episodes that were playing the slow build. And then mm-hmm. once we were Getting this moment like we were There were so many conversations That we got just like screwed out of With Sabine having you know Like Sabine was supposed to have so many more Tough conversations with people uh, On both sides like this could have been Spun very easily like Hey Ahsoka remember how You just wanted to leave him dead here You know like they could have had This in any way But this way where it was like ah no Big deal we're over it and then just moved On like I just Makes no sense It didn't feel like real enough It didn't feel like these were emotions that you or I would have had here At this point after what we had Mm -hmm. gone through And Yeah, the conflict happens off camera way too often That's where the interesting stuff is And why aren't we seeing it it, Yeah, it it just didn't make enough sense to me Um, As Ezra and Ahsoka They they, uh, Ezra, Ahsoka, and Sabine get attacked now by Thrawn's fighters And this is when I did like one of my favorite parts of the of the episode was how the three of them and you were kind of hitting on it. It's mm-hmm. like they they take they get power from being around each other mm-hmm. with the force. Yeah. And the it's definitely this collective is better than one with mm-hmm. all of them using their power together in certain circumstances. Right here we see Ezra and Ahsoka holding up the ship with the force. While Sabine yeah. and Yang get it ready And then Ahsoka kind of like flings it I thought mm-hmm. it was really cool But then Sabine like Just runs right into the two TIE fighters Yeah She takes him out It's like I like Oh yeah. cool she takes him out But then her mm-hmm. their ship is a little bit damaged What I will mm-hmm. say is This felt very um, This felt like the Sabine character Mm, this felt nice. like something she was going to do Where it was like quick fix, quick solution Maybe not think about the big plan mm-hmm. You know, or about how right. like Oh hey, we can we need the ship still to get out of here Ezra was like, oh, <laughs> it's gonna take us a little bit longer But she did yeah. take out the threat immediately, right? That's, yeah. that's who she is This is why Ahsoka would be scared of her with force power Good point, right? yeah <laughs> Like, just right, the microcosm, right, right. exactly Of like, acting, not necessarily thinking um, but the visual but of fair, it was cool. Yeah, yeah, it, it was, was cool, and and it might have been the best and only option at that point. At, uh, exactly. Given, yeah, they were it's... about to get blown up by those Tie Fighters, mm-hmm. uh, and I thought that yeah, I I like this. Uh, what was it? Um, was it called the Holdo maneuver? I want to say from Last Jedi, which I, was controversial, but I I always thought was a pretty cool moment in that in that uh film. This reminded me of that a little bit, uh, and I heard some complaints that like, wait, what are the Tie Fighters doing? Like, why? Why did the uh, the pilot just hold his hands up and like brace himself and not try to steer away from it? But I was like, I thought that was um a, a, it was, a quibble. It was kind of cool. It comes down to, yeah, Me I, I kind of like it. I was like, it. ah, I, no yeah. I didn't, 
I didn't mind that. I, I really didn't. I heard some of the quibbles too. I thought it felt, I thought it fit the Sabine character and I thought it, it really, it, it did make sense with what she would do. So we check back in with Grand Admiral Enoch, who I, I like the look and the feel of him. He does yeah. have the, this feel of uh, just um, like the right hand man of a, mm-hmm. of a bad guy. You know, he just, it, it's, it's pretty cool. Thrawn looks at his map and he gives orders again. Uh, the TIE fighters are lost, but they have impacted the Jedi ship and the options to prevent departure are now severely limited. So uh, Thrawn and Thrawn prepares for a ground assault and they ready the army. And this army is now going to be kind of commanded and led by Morgan Elsbeth, who's going to stay there and try to buy Thrawn a little bit more time. Ahsoka, Sabine, Ezra get closer to Thrawn. And as they do, we see them on Howlers, Ahsoka's on one, Sabine mm-hmm. and Ezra are on another. And it's basically this video game sequence where as they get closer to Thrawn, they're having to dodge all these blasters. Mm-hmm. Looks like it would be a cool level to play, huh? Yeah, yeah. This, that was fun. A, l- a little forgettable. Uh, I don't remember much from this except that they were just riding towards the temple. And, and uh, it was it was a quick scene uh, from what they, I recall. Like, yeah, they used the force quick... to open that gate. As they're riding right. it together, the three of them together sort of um, help one another get a little closer to Thrawn, evade some of Thrawn's mm-hmm. men as Thrawn now calls in the next piece of his plan, the night troopers. And sure. this is when we see Ahsoka direct. Ahsoka's like directing traffic now. She, you know, she's the leader mm-hmm. of these three. She's telling Sabine what to do. She's telling Ezra, over here, go to the right, go to the left. I kind of like the, the right. three of them working together. I thought it was cool. This was when Ezra uses the force to push two of them right at Ahsoka. She cuts, yes. she like slices them that with that cool. Yeah. really cool move from behind. And the visual of Ahsoka now in all white with the white lightsabers when she's fighting mm-hmm. is uh, yeah. it's awesome. Like visually, she looks really cool as she gets through it. Um, but then, as it looks like all of the troopers are are laid out, and it is, a, there are a few moments in this episode that are kind of gory, you know? Yeah, for, a little bit for like just or a little different than what we're used to with the Star Wars mm-hmm. kills and the way that they that troopers are. Um, they even the 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 kill that like Ahsoka had there, but we mm-hmm. see all these bodies. Come back to life as the night sisters and the great mothers are chanting. Uh, the troops yeah. rise up, and we have zombies here. Um, and yeah. I, I did, I did sort of like the humor that between Ahsoka and Ezra at this moment. She said, uh, "Ezra, this ever happened before?" And he, <laughs> "No, this is new." <laughs> so yeah. he says, "Lucky us." And that that <laughs> was like how they were in Rebels. Mm-hmm. Like that was the tone. Of them right. a little bit more, and that's what's been off here is that the tone's been like more serious, but then you have like these flashes where it's a little more jokey, and it's just mm-hmm. been uneven. Was a good word I think that we said like right. not exactly like they knew um, where they were going, but th- this felt like an Indiana Jones kind of trying to escape. Yeah. Right, they're escaping from this temple, sort of as the doors close, the three of them make it out, and mm-hmm. um. Each time it's like they're they're passing another they're getting to another checkpoint and Thrawn's getting a little more frustrated because the good guys mm-hmm. are getting closer and closer to thwarting his plan. Um, he even says at this rate, 
they may get on the board uh, they may get on board the ship which would be problematic that is when he sends off Morgan Elsbeth and that's when we see that she is willing to stay and fight for Dathomir so we basically have the battle pieces all set up and yeah. we hear that Thrawn's ship is ready like they're ready to go the course is locked in Enoch lets him know and as Ezra and Sabine battle with these zombie troopers, Sabine has a really cool kill, and this is when she starts to pick up the Force. She's in her mm-hmm. desperate moment where it looks like she uh, is about to be uh, crushed by a zombie. She uses yeah. the Force to grab a lightsaber, and I believe it was the same move that Kylo Ren used, yep. where he just yeah. one pop and he goes right guard. the head. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was a cool moment and a cool callback. I I really liked that Praetorian Guard uh, fight scene in um, the Last Jedi. Uh, I'm a I'm a Last Jedi fan for the most part, um, but uh, yeah, I, I like this whole sequence. Those two large, uh, I think she's fighting the the large um, zombie stormtroopers at at this uh, stage, right? When when she when she and she's going to save. Ezra yeah, there were well. like the two of them that were the the yeah. ones that's particular. She and Ezra were fighting. They weren't just the real basic troopers yeah. that were. So I thought that uh, was cool. Me too. I liked it visually, and and now Sabine has connected with the Force. Now she is mm-hmm. able to tap into that part of her for the rest of this battle. We we see Thrawn's ship leaving, mm-hmm. and. It's getting ready to go as Ahsoka tries to follow. She's fighting off troopers, and we see the ship has departed. Ezra and Mm -hmm. Sabine are standing there watching it leave, but they have a plan. They've done something like this before. Sabine suggests that if Ezra jumps, she can use the Force to get him onto the ship, and then Ezra can use the Force to pull her over. And Ezra's a little reluctant. I've seen you use the force. It's not great, you know? And she said, trust me. Trust me, this is our only option. And I think you were pointing out, too, when you don't have many options, right? trying something is better than trying nothing. They're going to be stuck here, right? And the bad guy's going to be gone, and they're stuck here in this opposite galaxy. You got to take a swing here to at least see. And that's what they do, Ezra. Runs and leaps. Sabine uses the force to push him up onto Thrawn's ship. He makes it up there Mm -hmm. and he takes out a couple of troopers. He 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 doesn't even look like he makes it, and he kind of jumps back up and gets there. Um, So Ezra is on Thrawn's ship as it gets farther and farther away, and then Sabine has a a moment of truth here. She Mm -hmm. has a decision to make. Does she (laughs) leave? And go with Ezra, the guy that she probably is in love with, the the whole reason why she's here. She turns around, getting ready to jump, and she sees Ahsoka by herself, fighting off a bunch of troopers, having to fight off Morgan Elsbeth. And her decision is to stay and help Ahsoka instead of leaving to go with uh, Ezra. I mean, let's think about this for a second. Uh, they just traveled all the way across the galaxy and uh, to another galaxy and uh, sacrificed possibly their own galaxy uh, to do this just so they could rescue Ezra uh, and, and be reunited with Ezra. And now they're just going to let him go off with these people. It, it just makes no sense. There's no consistency to the choice here. Also, Man. why didn't Sabine jump first? That would have made more sense given their 
their um you know force abilities you know 100 levels the fact that at. she's never done that once yeah and ezra has done it and like hezra and kanan used to do it all the time it right. should have been sabine you go i'll be right behind you i don't yeah. understand um it and e even like the leaving like even the leaving ahsoka where they were like mm -hmm. ezra ezra's kind of too okay with this yeah. leaving them yeah. you know what i mean there's yeah. something like it's it just doesn't hit for me it needed to be more of like one of them mm -hmm. is knocked out and they end up on the ship and they're separated like i just yeah. i they needed to be separated more by circumstance than by, than choice. by choice exactly yes, yes. Exactly. 100% because their choice didn't make sense. No, because it <laughs> yeah. puts us in a weird spot with these characters. It's like, okay, so she picked Ezra over the entire world like yeah. three, four episodes ago. And now it's right. like, eh, I don't need Ezra. I'm going to stay here with Ahsoka and just sacrifice my entire life. I I don't know. Yeah, it's inconsistent. It, it doesn't, it, it makes sense. And they don't didn't give us enough to justify why she would have that big change key. of heart. Everybody has changes of heart. Every character has motivations that make you change. There are things that happen to you, events that happen to you throughout your life. For me, for you, every person, something happens and your perspective changes. We got to see it, though. We have to yeah. know why. Why does your perspective yeah. change? Why Why is Tim Kelly different now than he was 15 years ago? He's got a right, couple right. kids. He's old, like, yeah. it's just your everything's different. Why? You yeah. don't just say, oh, he's different. Why? Mm -hmm. Tell me, tell me why. And exactly. I, I also, think also, why didn't they just dock in space? That's another, sorry if I cut you off. If you're going no, somewhere, please. why no. didn't they just dock in space? That's another big why that I was wondering. Uh, and a lot of people pointed this out. I can't take uh, credit for that either. Uh, it seems that the the hyperdrive ring it would have made more sense for them to have that in space, and then they bring the bring the the starship up to it, and then. They're not having to worry about these three Jedi jumping on board and, and messing it all up. I don't, I don't get it. Why is why is Thrawn deciding to do the docking down there? What's give us a reason at least? Exactly. It, it, the you know they've done this with how many different places? Like the atmosphere of the planet, you can't board because it's too rocky, or there's something in the atmosphere. There's magic, right? There's all this stuff. Like you have to be outside of the the. It's like you can say that in two lines of dialogue. Yeah. And we could have been like, oh, yeah, okay, that's why. There was just uh, – for the first couple episodes where it didn't feel like there was a lot of this happening, the last half of the series or the last few episodes felt like, god, they were paying a lot of attention to detail early, and now they're not. Mm -hmm. Like that's yeah. where it felt uneven. It was like, oh, they were doing – and you were hitting on it perfectly. It was like, what are we doing here? Do we want either a four-episode show or a 12? Right. Because eight didn't feel true to no. what you were trying to do. It felt like you were trying to be right in the middle of doing something that was too short or too long. Yeah, and, really. Um, just make a movie. I mean, I know. Like the I don't know. The, you need to movie, feel like events. Exactly. Yeah. The movie would have been great. And God, I would love. I know they wouldn't do, it, but mm -hmm. like, I loved the the like the werewolf by night. The releases mm -hmm. that they had, like some yeah. of them. I don't know if they've taken enough advantage of the Disney Plus streaming service. To mm -hmm. not need everything to be out in the theater, you know, all the time mm -hmm. and not need it to feel like that. I know it's all it, a lot of it's a cash grab, but I think some of the times when especially with Star Wars and with Marvel, you're telling mm -hmm. so many like such a long story and so many things like it would be fun for us as fans to have some things that were like, I don't know, 
either a surprise that just shows up sometime or like, you know, you get a freebie on yeah. the Disney plot. Like I don't, they're just a better way of using it to tell the story mm-hmm. a lot of the time that I, I'm not sure if they've taken advantage of that medium um, as much as maybe yeah. they were like during the pandemic and when, when they were mm-hmm. sort of forced into it. Um, so the final portion of our episode is when Ahsoka and Elsbeth continue their battle and mm-hmm. we see Ahsoka uh, eventually kill Elsbeth here. The sisters can sense it when they're on Thrawn's yeah. ship. And I, I actually thought this was one of my favorite, like, little moments of Thrawn in the entire uh, series where mm-hmm. the sisters tell him Morgan is dead. And he just looks and says, she has done what was required. Yeah. And, like, yeah. that was it. You know, no thinking twice about the woman who's the entire reason why you are able to get back. Like if it wasn't for yeah. Morgan Elsbeth opening up the door and the portal to, to between galaxies, you're still stuck here. And it was like, mm-hmm. oh, she did her part. She opened it. She got me back out. I'm out. Like not even like a moment where it's like, let's have a, uh, let's, uh, like, let's share a moment of silence for Morgan yeah. who who did what she did for the cause. It was just like a real cold, like, yeah, yeah. She, she's done what she what was required, and same so that, reaction, same reaction to the two Tie Fighters that were lost earlier. Essentially, where he's just like eh, an acceptable yeah. outcome. Yeah, and that's that's it. Um, so uh, Ahsoka and Sabine are now stranded, um, and Ahsoka looks at as at Sabine and asks, "Where's Ezra?" And she says, "Going home." Uh, the two then attempt. To leave Ahsoka says want to get out of here Sabine says I'm right behind you So we we actually get a sense That our good mm-hmm. guys still have a shot here That that maybe they're going to yeah. be able To get out as Thrawn mm-hmm. Ship rains fire On Sabine and Ahsoka They're picked mm-hmm. up by Hu Yang He has fixed her ship um, Sabine has That was a cool moment I agree It was a loose thread I, yeah. I was gonna say you forgot. I forgot about it almost. Mm-hmm. Right? They did a yeah. really good job of like, oh, there's Yang. Cool, you know, yeah. and like he said. So that cool moment to where I actually don't mind the end not being predictable. Right? As a fan, mm-hmm. like you feel like, oh, here comes Yang. He's there. He's gonna save the yeah. day. Our good guys are gonna make it somehow. They're gonna get right back onto Thrawn's ship. They're gonna attach mm-hmm. and be able to follow through hyperspace, and that just doesn't happen. Um, right. that uh, Thrawn actually calls over to Ahsoka on a yeah. radio, and I, 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 there was even one like um part of this for a lot of the critiques I've had about the episodes and uh, like mm-hmm. or about this episode and and certain little things. So Thrawn radios over to Ahsoka, and Ahsoka and Sabine are like in the cockpit. They're you know Ahsoka's pressing all these buttons. She's trying to get stuff figured. She's trying to get everything ready so they can follow. And yeah. I like that. She like asks Hu Yang. She kind of talks over Thrawn, but Thrawn can't hear her. She asks Hu Yang, "Hey, can you not get me any more power? What's going?" Like, it was just mm-hmm. something that was small, but I loved because it was. She's she's in the she's chaotic at the moment. She's yeah, not all yeah. calm. She's like it 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 made me feel like Ahsoka going, "Oh shit!" Like <laughs> she's. She's feeling like we don't have uh, much time, and I could sense yeah. that with her. It wasn't like her just sitting there listening to Thrawn. It was her, mm-hmm. what, what's going on? Can you get me any more? And Thrawn says, I regret we haven't met face-to-face, Ahsoka Tano. 
Uh, You've been quite a worthy opponent Let me commend you on your efforts today I knew you because I know your master I concluded your strategies would be similar And one wonders just how similar you might become Uh, (laughs) Perhaps this is where a ronin such as you belongs Today, victory is mine Long live the empire And not only Mm -hmm. does he blast off right then And leave Ahsoka and Sabine in their wake And like we've seen when, uh, when the Eye of Sion goes into hyperspace Everything behind it Sort of in like a chaos It sort of leaves this big wave It To me this was like symbolic of Thrawn Like just a big punch to Ahsoka Mentally yeah. and physically yeah. And like he leaves her behind But he also Just like ninja her brain Right here yeah. <laughs> With what he was saying to her about oh, yeah. What she could be and her master And you could see it on her face Where she was like Oh you know, like she knows, he knows, <laughs> right. and am I gonna be Anakin and this? And, and I like what she was wearing on her face here. I sort of like this moment. Um, and and I, yeah, I, I, I towards the end, I, I don't even have a problem with like where where we are. It just felt like, damn, mm-hmm. we just we just traded places. We just had Ezra yeah. leave, and Ahsoka and Sabine are now here. I think mm-hmm. if that's really what we were going for, it just could have been done differently to where mm-hmm. it didn't feel so much like that was what we did. We just traded places. Right. And I'll say this. If they had done more with their the major B storyline of the series, uh, uh, which was uh, the Ray Stevenson character, uh, have him actually do something. I mean, they gave him essentially a... Uh, a post credit sequence in this that's that's the amount of depth that they gave him to to wrap up the uh this season which uh, and it, it's so hollow because again yeah. and i I don't know exactly if they were planning on having other things filmed or I don't know mm-hmm. what happened Maybe. but we see so we see ahsoka and Sabine they're still stranded here mm-hmm. together and we check in. Shin Hati is with the local mm-hmm. nomads. Yeah, and then We're we look at saying people ripoffs like that, like which I'm fine with. That's just a, yeah. another version of them a little bit, but very, very similar. And this, it's, it's, it's almost like yeah, she's the Boba Fett character going, going to be like mm-hmm. growing up with the locals or with Din, Din Djarin, right? Was taken over mm-hmm. by the Mandalorian. So I, I don't mind that. But then we see Balin. And he's standing on the the statues of these gods. It's almost like he's mm-hmm. found his peace. Mm-hmm. Again, why, we should at this moment we should feel something with right. him standing right. there. We should have a yeah. reason to be like, oh wow, this is the big moment for Balin. We don't even know what this means. It's way too vague. It's way, way, way too vague because some of the super fans who've watched all of Clone Wars and Rebels. Knew or 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 could kind of understand or at least theorize what's being hinted at here, but even they weren't one hundred percent sure 100%. of what's going on. Exactly. But the, yeah, like you mentioned, there's these gods. I'm not too familiar with the lore, but there's this um there's this uh, idea of like the father and the son, and I think the daughter, uh, and I believe the daughter is uh, the light side of the force, and the son is the dark side, and the father is supposed to be the balance between them, and so. This moment was him standing atop a statue of 
uh, potentially or apparently the father, which kind of fits um, the Balin character, if you think about it, because he was kind of sitting in this balance area and and had kind of rejected the idea of this war back and forth between light and dark. And he's been acting sort of in the middle for this whole series. So it, it does kind of make sense that he would represent that character and align with the father. Uh, it's just such a shame for so many reasons. Number one, the fact that this actor passed away, such a great actor who did so much for the series, brought so much to the table. Uh, but then ultimately they didn't give any kind of resolution to it. Uh, where do we go from here? Animation? recasting i kind of hope they recast but how how do you find somebody that has the the gravitas of a ray stevenson but also that like the, the physical build that he has it's, it's a it's a unique combination of those two like where he's this big kind of you know burly guy w with uh this uh sense of um poise to him at the same time but he also feels like he could be rough and a little bit dangerous he, he blends those things so so well uh, that elegance with the, with the roughness. Um, how do you find an actor that that does that? Hopefully, that you know he's out there. Uh, but that'll be a really tough find. Just a a, a bummer because this should have felt like a moment that we knew more about. We should we should just have felt what <laughs> yeah. we knew Balin was doing here as yeah. he stands on the statues. He seems to have found his peace. Uh, Thrawn mm. and the fleet have made it back, and as they do. We actually see a stormtrooper arrive at the New Republic base. Hera Syndulla looks as a trooper walks out, but it's Ezra. He takes his helmet off, and they have a moment where we it's supposed to be this great moment, and we don't even know that they these two characters know each other. Yeah. We've never even seen these two like we haven't heard him or even talk about each other very much. Hera a little bit about Ezra, but never really Ezra about Hera. Um, yeah. Not yeah, even a so, moment where they get yeah. there and Ezra is talking with Sabine about how he misses Hera, who used to take care of him. Right. She was like a mom to me. Like, say it. Just say Nothing. it. One, one thing. None of that. Hera was wasted in this whole series. We really didn't really? need her character at totally. all. She didn't do anything. Uh, and that's not that I didn't want her in the series, uh, but the way that they used her, uh, it, it was completely useless. We might as well have cut cut the whole thing, uh, unless they're setting up for next season. But that's even that's, if they again, are, they could have presented her better. So things up? I know, exactly. even if they are waiting to it do more anything. with her, so disappointed <laughs> with her and with Ezra, yeah. honestly. And I didn't think of this till you just mentioned it, but what the hell is Ezra doing wearing a, a, the Stormtrooper outfit? Like, how long has he been flying that, that ship? Why did he keep the outfit on? And the Why helmet! The helmet! The helmet! He the helmet. Was he going for a dramatic... He was risking getting shot by all the soldiers. I know! Why wouldn't you come out with a white flag and be like, hey, it's me! It's me! Hey, guys, as soon as you get off the Thr a Thrawn ship, you don't need that on anymore. Yeah. Like, that's the way you... <laughs> I know. It made no sense. It, it was I like, didn't think of that until just now. Me neither. And it was like, he should have gotten <laughs> shot. They And they were yeah. stupid for not shooting him. Why did they wait yeah. so long? You know what I mean? It just... um, it, it didn't make a whole lot of sense as we get to our final scene, Sabine and Ahsoka, and the no T on Perdia as Ahsoka looks off and Sabine is upset that Thrawn got away, but Ahsoka... Tries to spin it and says thanks to you Ezra got home where he needs To be Soka says and So are we it's time to move On they look off at something They uh, in the distance And 
It's forced ghost Anakin Looking on As the two are now stuck In a galaxy far far away So this won't be the final time We are with Sabine and Ahsoka they, They're stuck They're going to have to get back Thrawn is back now Ezra mm-hmm. and Hera we feel like Will probably find their way back to Ahsoka and Sabine um, Just not as good as it could have been You know that's mm-hmm. that's where yeah, I feel at the, at the end of this episode It wasn't horrible It yeah. wasn't one of the worst things we watched Certainly yeah. wasn't the best There was great moments But a yeah. lot of the moments I just wanted more from Yeah same And You know what it, it was kind of right in the middle Of my yeah. overall like Disney Plus Star Completely Wars Marvel agree. You know, it wasn't my least favorite by any stretch. I was into it from week to week. I was excited to watch the new episode. I had those moments we talk about uh, every episode, pretty much every episode, where I was like, "Oh, that was pretty cool. That was that was I, I liked that. Um, that that made it worth it uh, for me." But at the end of the day, I felt like the experience overall just cheapened my affection and connection to this Star Wars universe and my my identification with this this series as this big event thing this this uh, something that holds a little bit of weight to it anytime you know a new star wars movie would come out i would be very excited that 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 ship has long sailed but this i feel like just keeps adding nails into that coffin of you know star wars's overall reputation as being mid or you know and, and, and that's not star wars is not mid star wars is not you know tv quality it's not something that's you know meant to be just a product that's consumed. Uh, it was a revolutionary uh, story when it came out. It pushed forward the, the medium of filmmaking. Uh, there was a lot of classic themes going on in it, hero's journey stuff, um, things that are foundational to our culture, uh, a lot of hodgepodge of really great cu- cultural artifacts and different storytelling types. I mean, I did like that aspect of this episode we got you know, um, r- the word Ronin included in it. I thought that was cool, adding a little bit more to the samurai. Uh, we got zombies. So, you know, we did get that genre uh, mashup stuff that Star Wars is known for. But the quality, the the essential viewing uh, of Star Wars, that, that era is kind of gone. Uh, so we need, a, we need a kind of a reboot. We need a spiritual reboot. We need to rethink things. And uh, lucky enough, hopefully... Disney is kind of on a different path now. They just yeah. released an article more on the Marvel side, but I think that applies to all the Disney Plus shows that they're going to be changing their approach to how yep. they make these shows. So and we'll see, we'll see what, what's in store. To hopefully fill a lot of the critiques we're talking about here is that yeah. we we want, I think they took it, they, we complained about having a lot of content, right? Can you imagine like our us like telling the twenty like the the younger versions of ourselves that we're complaining yeah. about having all this stuff? But yeah. now, but now they're gonna hear that and they're gonna give us a little bit more quality because I think that's what it's all about. You have so much out there now that now we want the le- the bottom the floor level to be just a little bit better. Um, yeah. I hope they've learned the right lessons. You know, time will tell. And we will find out soon. Because every time there's something going on in the world of Star Wars or Marvel, Tim Kelly is here with us. Another one in the books, Ahsoka, Season 1, Episode 8. We are done, and where we will head next, we'll be back to the MCU with Loki. A couple episodes of Loki have dropped, so in the next few weeks, we'll catch up. We'll probably be able to hit the first three at some point with Loki. My schedule's been a little off. I was traveling, and I know you're traveling, Mm -hmm. so... I appreciate all of your flexibility, my friend. And damn, we've covered a ton of ground so far yeah, in a couple of years, man. It's, 
it's always cool to like check off another one. And uh, I thank you so much for all the help and all the time and the effort you've given this show and you've given me the last few years, buddy. Thank you. I'm happy to be a part of it. Tim Kelly, make sure to give him a follow at Tim is not funny on Twitter and on Instagram. Check out the great music project that he has there. And you'll always hear this voice as uh, one of my main mans and uh, the main consultants talking with us about everything fandom. Don't go anywhere, folks. Still a lot more to come on this episode. Thanks so much for hanging out with us. All caught up with Ahsoka. Big thank you to TK for helping us out. So we'll get caught up with Loki. We'll hit the next, uh, the first three episodes of Loki when we record in just a few days. So we'll be all caught up there, and then we'll be able to go week by week with you on Loki. Remember, anything in the world of Star Wars or Marvel, we've got you covered here on That's What G Said Podcast. Thanks to TK for helping us out with Ahsoka. Thanks to Barry for helping us out with this weekend Stable Duel. Thanks to Eric for helping us out with the NFL game previews. Hopefully we can catch up with Chad next week and uh, double up on everything going on in the world of wrestling. We'll talk to you again very soon. Thanks, folks.